Hello, you're listening to Otaku Spirit Anime Cast. My name is Andrew, and I'm joined here with Chris. Yo! Today's episode is our part one of our fall 2021 anime season reviews. The season has come to an end. Well, most of it's come to an end. <laughs> it's time to give our thoughts on how everything kind of turned out. So, we have a lot of titles to go through. This will be a two-parter review. Um, I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do the deliberations, but I'm sure we'll probably sprinkle that in the middle or somewhere, or maybe just right after the second part of our reviews. But, Yeah. In this bit, we have Miracle-chan, Tact Opus Destiny, The Great Jahi Will Not Be Defeated, Blue Period, World's Finest Assassin Gets Reincarnated in Ton of the World as an Aristocrat, The Fruit of, or the fruit of, <laughs> the fruit of, the fruit of Evolution, Super Crooks, Restaurant to Another World, The Second Season, Move Love Alternative, The Hickey Story, uh, Tawawa on Mondays 2, uh, Gambare Doki-chan, Let's Make a Mug 2, Yuki Yuna is a hero, the great Mankai chapter, and Mushoku Tensai, Jobless Reincarnation Part 2. Yes, we will be talking about Mushoku Tensai again. Sure uh, that... I don't know. People are kind of tired of us. <laughs> There's some people like, you guys are talking about it again. I'm like, yep. <laughs> we love it, too. There's a reason why. And there's a large large group of people that love listening to it, so you just got to skip those parts. I would hope you listen to them, but you could just skip it. I don't know. That's why I put it at the very end, so that you don't have to listen to the rest of the podcast. <laughs> there you go. That and the fact that it's the second part, so it makes it easier to talk about. But yeah, we have a ton to go through, so we should probably just get started. Let's start things off with a bang. We have Miracle-chan. This one is streaming on Funimation, ran for 12 episodes. The studio is Passione. The source is a manga. The genres are comedy, horror, slice of life, supernatural. The director is Yuki Ogawa, who did Fully Coolly Progressive, Interspecies Reviewers, and Mirotites. I think that... Mirror Tights part got sprinkled in there somewhere. Series composition by Kenta Ihara, who did Kasha's Hero, Tsukimichi Moonlit Fantasy, Saga Tanya the Evil. And yeah, this one follows a schoolgirl named Miko. And at some point, Miko is just, you know, just doing her daily routine. Everything's kind of normal. <laughs> and at some point, she forgets a little trinket at school. So she decides to go back to the school to, you know, grab it. And then when she's at the bus stop coming back home, she gets a text from her friend Hana. And it's of her face. Like, the, the text on the, the phone is her face, and then she gets another text, and it's her face, and it keeps sending it to her until eventually it starts distorting a little bit. And then she realizes there's a grotesque, large 
ghost that's standing right next to her, asking her if it's if she sees it, and she starts ignoring it because she figures if she acknowledges it, it'll harm her. And so this kind of begins this series of events that every single time she's gone, <laughs> everywhere she goes, basically, <laughs> there's ghosts around her. She can now see these ghosts that are surrounding her, and she's trying her hardest to avoid acknowledging them because she fears that if she acknowledges them, they will harm her. So, yeah, and all along the way, again, she has a friend, Hana, who can't see the ghosts. She's a very bubbly personality. She loves to eat, which was funny because at first I just think that, you know, there's this really skinny girl with, you know, it's well, well endowed, and she just loves eating, and that's going to be her shtick. But there's actually, like, a story behind the fact that she eats so much. But she has an aura about herself, a very bright aura, that Miko at some point kind of uh, assumes that that aura is what draws the creatures in. Well, they actually get kind of confirmed through this lady who's the godmother that that draws in peop- uh, these ghosts. And then later on they meet Yuria, who is another girl that can see the ghosts, like Miko, that really wants Miko to admit it. <laughs> um, but she can only see, like, the, the smaller of these ghosts. So, yeah. Did you end up watching the rest of it? Yeah. You did! Good job. So what was your thoughts on Minoko-chan? This one, um, I'm, I was actually surprised how much heart this show has. Uh, it's some real, um, a lot of the stories, while, yeah, it feels like it's kind of a darker type show, um, it surprisingly has these really good um, heartfelt messages in each one of them um, from uh, uh, kind of a for lack of a better term, one of the stories was kind of a forgiveness and um, acceptance type story. Um, a couple of other stories later on are, are a lot more don't judge the book by its cover. So a lot of really cool little messages in each one of these stories that that I really did get get a lot out of that I, I very much enjoyed. The other thing that I really enjoyed about it was that um, subverting expectations like that's just what this writer does so it's like at some point later on when i was doing my episode by episode impressions of the series because this, this is a series that when when it first started airing i was like wow i, I really like this first episode it's really good and then i was like okay i did my first impressions and i made a video of it and i was like okay that's gonna be it but then like the next week an episode comes out and it like totally just gut punches me with some like really good emotional points and i'm like Holy crap, I'm doing another video. <laughs> and then I ended up doing videos all every week um, all the way through the series because it was just that good. And I wasn't really expecting it to be that good. It's just I think because the writer has that habit of subverting expectations, I never really know what the writer intends to do with a story. So it became really fun for me to come back and do videos because the big thing was you guys don't get it. This this is what this writer does. This, this is not going to be how clear-cut it seems. There's going to be something about this character that you don't really see coming. And that was, like, the really fun thing about it. Additionally, with the fact that I think this, the studio, Passioni, did a fantastic job. The character designs are fantastic. They, they just did a really good job of, you know, especially Miko, <laughs> really messing with her expression. Uh, the Seiyu did a fantastic job of really getting that, like, moody, 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 moody thing going on yeah. in her head. <laughs> that that inner dialogue of her just panicking about something next to her while this, you know, herself, her actual facial expressions usually kind of like, oh, okay, I don't get it. That's fine. Don't don't react. Um, that They did a great job with that. The ghost, they did, like, a really interesting, I don't know, it seemed like it was some sort of uh, CGI filtering happening to it. It was, like, a drawn ghost. It doesn't look CGI, it's just, you know, there's a there's an effect happening there. That's what I mean. 
And it looked really good, like a really horrific look to the ghosts themselves um, that I think they did an incredible job with. There's just – everything comes together for this. I think the interesting thing is early on, it the thing that I kind of staple to this series is that it's the perfect balance of comedy, horror, and drama. Well, at first I said etchy too, but <laughs> the etchy just kind of dropped off. Like it was, it was like every other scene at the very beginning seemed like it would have some etchy shot, like just a – a butt shot or something like that, you know, something like that. And at some point, like halfway through the show, it just like stops. Like there's no more etchy in it. And so I'm like, why did they, <laughs> it's like that little, that little, uh, you know, get people into the series with the etchy and then like pull it out of there. Uh, because it, it seemed really odd how kind of very obvious the etchy was early on. And then just kind of disappears, which is fine with me because I mean, yes, it's good etchy, but at the same time, it's not, it wasn't necessary because the horror and the comedy and the drama it is plenty like it, it's so perfectly balanced because it's constantly shifting back and forth between having those moments where I'm just laughing because, you know, she's terrified of something and I feel bad for her, but I'm still laughing because, you know, obviously we laugh at things that are uncomfortable. Uh, and then it would have these moments where suddenly out of nowhere it's tugging at my heartstrings. There's some situation that's happening that's extremely traumatic or sad or because you're obviously dealing with ghosts. And ghosts are typically attached to families. So you're going to have that sadness as she runs into a ghost and it's trying to tell her something about, you know, this old lady's safe or something like that. It's really, really cute in that regard. So I was really surprised by it. I had a lot of fun with it. The Like I said, the studio did a fantastic job. Like nothing didn't look good in the show. And like I said, everything kind of just played out perfectly. It was just a very good balance of everything. So... Yeah, just just to compound on what Andrew is saying, the directing, the storyboarding, the the story itself, it just it well done, just fantastically done. Yeah, good pacing too. I it pretty much feel like it had probably two or three skits per episode, um, or situations really, not really skits, but there, there was times where I felt like, okay, at some point this is going to get old because it's obviously set up is ghosts in front of her. Then the next part is how did she avoid it? And the third part is the punchline. And I really felt like at s several points, I'm like, this is going to get old, isn't it? Like, this is going to start getting repetitive, but it never does. Like, and I, and I think that's really because it starts to pick up the more emotional beats as it goes along. So, yeah, really good. Great characters, too. Love them to death. Hana was fantastic. Miko was just priceless. Yuria was great. I, I think of any negative I give, Yuria wasn't in enough. Like, she just kind of disappears really quickly, and then she shows up, like, halfway through the series, and then she disappears again. <laughs> so it's like, why? I thought Yuria was part of the group now. Where's Yuria? <laughs> it's just, like, so much focus on Miko and Hana together. So, yeah, it was good. Fantastic. I absolutely recommend it to everybody. It was just, it was a gem. I, I think um, probably alongside Super Cub, probably easily one of the biggest surprises for me this year yeah, was, was Miko I can Patan. agree. Because I, I think when I seen the PVs, I was like, Oh, good. It's a horror show. Like, we don't get really horror shows often, and and the PV looked like really solid horror. It will, and, but and, it was one of those things where, even though I thought that, it was it had a comedic spin to it, and it sounded goofy. Yeah. And what I found is, and I was hesitant when I got into the series, because I'm like, well, I want a horror, but I'm afraid the comedy's going to ruin it, because it looks like a very bubbly comedy. But how they execute it was perfection. Like, you, it still feels like horror. It still feels like you feel uneasy for Miko, but then there's the laughs that are kind of around her, you know, out of outlandish reaction. I just love the haunted house scene, by the way. 
That, that, that's yeah. got to be in the that, best that moments the of best the year. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a good scene. The haunted house scene was just perfect. Uh, it was just like you felt like everything I was, released. I was, yeah, <laughs> you, I, you felt that release that she had. I was laughing that entire series of scenes. It, it was. It was. That was one of those that it was like. I I I I agree. It was it was almost a kind of a release for that that entire series of the all the way up until that moment, and you were like, I so feel this moment because I I completely and totally agree. She needs this. <laughs> yeah, and the, and I think the best like heartfelt moments without spoiling things would probably be the pudding and mm-hmm. the 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 cats at the park. The 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 ultimate decision of who the cat goes to, I guess, is the way to put it. That was like, I think that was my first like, holy crap! I'm gonna have to cover this weekly moment. <laughs> it was like, crap! I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna be doing this <laughs> because this is good. This is so good. Uh, yeah, fantastic show. I, I just love it to death. And it sucks because it's like it, it's gonna be going up against a lot of really yeah. strong shows this year. So we'll we'll see. It's, that's in the coming weeks. <laughs> Mariko Chan, definitely highly suggested from me and I guess Chris too. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Definitely. I'm glad Chris stuck with it. I had a hard time the first couple of episodes. It most, like I said, it, it, it's one of those. Andrew had mentioned it in the in the in the PV. It came off almost as a comedy, not necessarily that it was going to be goofy funny, but that it was going to be um, almost an absurdity comedy. More in the in the lines of, and, and we we kind of speculated back and forth on this. Was is this going to be kind of a? Um, just a reaction to what what's going on in front of her and and playing that off as funny even though it's kind of more of a dark humor is is kind of the way that we were feeling like it was going to go but when i mean even if you were were to watch the kind of um the the op it almost feels like a bubbly goofy uh absurdity comedy and and when you actually the entire intro is her saying that she wants to get away from him yeah (laughs) (laughs) and when you actually get into the show and it's like this is not comedy at all and i had a really hard time because it i felt it we we talk about the um how how horror shows in um in japan are very different from the jump scare um kind of yeah, they're more unsettling and yeah and, and looming threat and this one had that in spades this is easily um probably at least the first few episodes i the felt first the opening scene was beautifully done yeah like it, that it was it was them watching a tv show which was a horror show but it was like the way that it played that out i'm like i don't think it, it's very rare to find anime that that executes horror like this. It mm-hmm. felt unsettling. Exactly. And and that and that that's why I had a very hard time the first few episodes. It wasn't until I effectively grabbed onto the drama points that they were doing like especially the the pudding scene that Andrew had mentioned. That was so fantastically done. I'm already getting goosebumps just thinking about how well that was executed. And that is really literally what dragged me through the the rest of the episodes, and I'm so happy about that, especially when you get to the shrine and some of the really cool kind of more mechanics behind her world, for a lack of a better term. That was really a neat thing to get it start digging into. Um, I, I'm really I curious really, where that goes from there because I they do. insinuated too. so much that last episode. And it's not to feel like this was a, a show that I feel like, oh my gosh, this is source material bait. Because they were just kind of little breadcrumbs that they were sprinkling in the, in the last episode to kind of let you know what could be in the next part. 
And it sucks because what I'm understanding, it's not, it doesn't have enough for another season. So this is this is one of the rare cases where I almost want to check out the manga just because I'm curious what they end up doing with that because it's kind of I, I speculated so much when it came around to that shrine and the agreement that she technically stumbles into um, as to what that could do and especially with having the godmother at the very end kind of note something about a picture it was like I wonder where this is kind of going <laughs> yeah so yeah fantastic definitely definitely recommend it again sorry for dragging it out. <laughs> <laughs> Let's keep going. But by the way, but the god, the godmother, <laughs> the godmother. <laughs> oh no, yeah, the brother, the brother was great. Um, the the brother was like pure one to protect sister. That was so cute. Um, not like not like Syscon kind of thing. I'm assuming it felt like it wasn't Syscon stuff. But anyways, tacked up as destiny. Is this one that you f- you managed to get through too? Nope. No, but it's the great. No. <laughs> Uh, this one's streamed on Crunchyroll, ran for 12 episodes, done by both Studio Mappa and Madhouse. They basically take took turns adapting it, like one would do one episode, then the other would do the other episode. Kind of weird, weird in that regard. It was based off a multimedia project, the genres are action, fantasy, and music, and the creator behind it, the writer, is Oji Hiroi, who of course is known for doing Sakura Wars, so there you go. Um, I, I, I recorded a video review of this, and I don't know if I got it wrong. As a, <laughs> in the review, I mentioned that it all kind of opens up with our modern. It, it wasn't really modern time. It's like it's like back in the '60s or '70s, probably, based on the vehicles and stuff. But uh, essentially, this this meteor comes down to Earth, and I, I I vaguely remember it was two meteors, wasn't it? The first one, one came, one and the was, second one brought one the D twos. One had the noise, and one had the um, uh, whatever they the are. The D twos, yeah, yeah. Oh, I thought the first one came, it nothing might, happened, might they were backwards. researching it, and then the second one came, and that one had the D2s. That's how, that's how I remember it. But then I'm reading the synopsis everywhere, and I'm like, was there two meteors? Uh, so let's assume that there was two meteors. <laughs> let's, just, let's just note that there was a meteor that showed up to Earth, and following this meteor crash, we get to a world where basically D2s are running around, these, these things they call D2s, they're running around killing humans, and they seem to be attracted by noise that humans make. Specifically, the thing that they hate the most is the music that mankind creates. So, at some point, they pretty much just abolish all music. So, as the, ser- the series opens up, you know, kind of into the story a bit, you realize that there's no music here. And the- even the children that are young are like, what's what's music? They don't even know what it is. So, at some point, <laughs> we start following a guy named Takt. And Takt is... Let's just call him a, a, a waste of air. <laughs> I just think he's a waste of oxygen. He's this guy that has lost his father, and he just cooped himself up inside of his garage and does nothing but play piano, and that's all he does. He doesn't, you know, clean up his own house. He has these two girls that basically are sisters that have been taking care of Tot since his father passed. They were, like, pretty much asked to take care of him, and so they visit him on a daily basis. And one of the two sisters, Cassette, really loves Tot's music to the point where she wants other people to hear it. And so while this one big organization that's kind of headquartered in New York, this all takes place in like a this alternate world of America, uh, this organization called the Symphonia, I believe it's called, they essentially employ conductors and music arts. And these music arts are these girls that kind of appeared when the meteor showed up too. And they are basically the tool to fight the D2s. So they're like magical girls that can fight these this threat. And so they're going to be showing up to town to do this big performance kind of thing. So they're going to essentially protect the people so they can enjoy thing and have music and all that kind of stuff. And so Cassette steals his piano <laughs> and drags it, to the, drags it to this event and just to force him to come there and play his music for everybody. And so they do that. And then unfortunately, D2s attack. 
Uh, both of them are critically wounded, and that's when Cassette awakens as Destiny. She becomes one of these music arts. And the sad thing that comes of that is the fact that when, as they kind of find out through this one guy, Lenny, uh, essentially when it, music arts are basically girls that have chosen to serve as music arts to fight the D2s. And these girls, in choosing this, give up their entire existence. When they become a music arts, they lose their past, their memory, everything that made them them, they become the music art. And so the fear here is that they've lost Cassette. She basically died that day because now Destiny is who she is. And so there's only one strain of hope, and that's if they can bring Cassette to New York, to this headquarters, they possibly could do something for her. And so this begins this kind of cross-country trek as they kind of go to different like little uh, areas of humans that have kind of like survived the D2 attacks and eventually re arriving in New York to see if they can do anything for Cassette. So, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I think when I first started this series, I was under the hope that it would just be a goofy adventure. Like here is these three. They're, they have their own personalities. Tact is kind of a grump butt. Uh, Cassette as Destiny is more of a more robotic. She's very emotionless. She's she's basically discovering things. And the thing that she kind of attached to, obviously, is food. So <laughs> all she really cared about really is to discover things. And on is Anna is more just the big sister, the mother figure, the one that just kind of keeps them in check and points them in the direction. I feel so bad for Anna. She has to go through so much crap dealing with these people. <laughs> um, so... I knew really basically from the first few episodes that this story wasn't going to really do much. I just had this feeling that I kind of already knew what was going to happen. Like you knew this is probably the big bad. This is a this is what's really going on behind the scene. You just kind of knew. It just fit, you just felt like you knew where the story was going to go from the very beginning. I can I can I can wildly guess who the bad guy is in this <laughs> show. <laughs> it is one of those things where you just kind of know. And so my hope was, knowing that the story was pro the overall story was probably not going to be good, my hope was that we're going to have a Rage of Bahamut kind of situation, where it's just it's the in the now, the episode by episode fun. Let's just see these these three kids get into to hijinks, and that's how it felt early on. Like I just love this whole scene where they basically tells Cassette to go take out this thing. She busts the wall. Anna's freaking out because they just destroyed this diner's wall. And then she kind of shows up later on, and she says, I messed up, and she falls down and collapses. And it's just like it felt like, a you know, cue the, the, the sitcom music in the background and cut scene. It felt fun in that regard. But it never really does it ever again. Like, the rest of the show, it feels like it's trying to pull in a story, and it gets so focused on these elements of music and the cultures that they're coming to. But none of them really seem to be all that interesting for me personally. I, I think I do think that there is an element here that should be noted that it feels like there's almost a love letter to classical music and composers. Because I do know that based on like a lot of the comments per episode in a lot of the sites like Crunchyroll and stuff, there's people that are dissecting which songs they use in what battle scenes and stuff. And how there is technically messages and the title themselves of the song that applies to the situation in the, in the fight. And so I do acknowledge that, but that's great for people that know classical music up and down. I love classical music, but I don't know names of classical music. I don't know the meaning behind a lot of them. And so it completely misses me. 
So I, I think if you are a huge classical music and composer fan, you might find something interesting there. But it really just comes down to, okay, since the story's not there, since the um, the action's fine, I mean, they did some really incredible scenes, especially early on. I think it just kind of, I don't know, it, it felt like there was a competition between the two studios, like, early on, but it feels like at some point, just they just don't care anymore. So it, it really did kind of plummet in quality really quickly. A lot of the action scenes felt really stiff. I mean, there was one thing that always pops in my mind. There's this one scene where they're on this road in the middle of this forest area, and Titan shows up, and she just looks stiff. Like, the way that she moves around, it, like, okay, it looks really awkward. So it, it doesn't always keep the quality up there. There was, a, there was a few really good points, though. There was a few really excellent animation points, but for the most part, it wasn't that great. So it really does come down to characters. Now, this is where I kind of flop back and forth. I think for a majority of the show, the characters weren't there. I think the thing that kept me moving was Lenny and Titan. Lenny and Titan were fantastic. I think if you made a show, uh, Lenny Opus Destiny, I would have probably loved it to death. Because Lenny and Titan were steps up above all the other characters. They had backstory. They had an incredible backstory. They had personality. They had character. Everything was in them. I loved Lenny and Titan. They were the they were the ones at some point Andrew had mentioned that because I was I was I dropped off after a they kind of split off and um, Andrew I had had got to talking about uh, whether or not they were coming back or something like that and Andrew had mentioned yeah it seemed like they were coming back and that that seriously made me want to come back and watch the show but they were really they were really the best part of the show mm-hmm. and that, there's no no question there because like I said when you come back to Tact and his team it's Tactus is always sitting around lazy and says he doesn't want to get involved with anything. He just, I literally want to kick him out of the car and say, you know, get a life. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, they try to do something with him later on. It just, it, it felt like too, too late kind of uh, situation. Cassette, obviously, was probably the more, she was the experiment. She was really the, the central experiment for the entire story because there's a few things going for her. One is everybody calls her Cassette, but her name is Destiny. And so there is this identity issue that she's facing because here's these two people. One sees me as, you know, a potential lover in the past. One sees me as her little sister that wants to protect her. So she has that struggle of, but I'm destiny, but these people see me as cassette. So I think I'll play into it, question mark. And then there's this whole aspect of her basically learning her own identity and her own emotions. But there's still that central struggle of she was once cassette. On, obviously, always struggling the fast of losing her sister. And seeing Cassette as her sister. That was probably the only other central character moments there. But other than that, like, personality and there's, yeah, Cassette, is, or Destiny is kind of funny in the regard that she doesn't really see things as she should see them. And everybody obviously reacts to that. But for the most part, this wasn't really much there. And that's really, really where I get to my biggest issue. Like, you, you get later in the series and you realize it's not going to really do much. And then it starts revealing who the bad guys are. And you're like... Wow, didn't see that coming. And, and then you start to see a whole bunch of characters show up. And then you, oh, 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 I forgot. This is a mobile game. I forgot about that. Shucks. <laughs> it, there's a point where I, I, I honestly forgot. I honestly did forget. And at some point when I started seeing a whole bunch of girls showing up on the screen, bouncing around, shooting stuff, I'm like, wow, this, this, oh, these are the gotcha characters. I forgot. 
Yeah, it, that's I think the biggest problem is as much as I wanted this to do something interesting and go in different directions, and as much as they had two big studios behind it, it sucks to realize at some point, oh yeah, this is just a prelude to the mobile game. I forgot about that. I and, and everything just bam crashed them all my well, interest in it. <laughs> well, that's the that's the other problem is even well, it makes me want to get it just so I can get Titan and that's it. I'll, <laughs> I'll just roll for Titan and then log off. But it sucks because it, it even so far as the last scene of the show, which let's just admit brings up a ton of question marks as to what the hell they're implying there, um, is the opening scene to the trailer for the mobile game. Is that bad? Um, and that's I guess the other big negative is you never if you never plan on playing the mobile game, they bring up way too many questions at the end. Like the end makes no sense. Like, wait, he was doing this because of what? Like, wait, wait, why did they do that? Like, okay, what happened to this character? Oh, so they're doing this with this character? Like, it doesn't make any sense as to what they're doing there. And and they, they make a lot of assumptions in the later parts, too. Like, why, why did this character know that doing this will make this happen? Why does this character know that this is the end effect if they do this? It is, like, the characters make a whole bunch of assumptions in the last two episodes that really make you wonder, like, what are we doing here? But. Now, now to be clear, I, just because it's a mobile game doesn't mean that the storyline is bad or anything Bridget like Bahama that. Was fantastic. Yeah, it, it's just the the storyline itself is going to be for the mobile game. The mobile game will probably tell the story a million times right. better than this. Um, the adaptation for this particular one obviously wasn't working for at least me. Um, I'm assuming it wasn't working for Andrew, but it is what it is. It was a it was a roller coaster back and forth between okay this is a cool thing mm, what are we doing now okay this is a cool concept okay what are we doing now it, that was really how I felt the entire show Lenny <laughs> Lenny's back on the screen <laughs> Titan there she is she's so cute uh, oh okay we're doing this now oh Lenny's back <laughs> Lenny and Titan were the best so yeah it's frustrating because cosette should have worked for me she really should have but i I, oh yeah she's like the saber character like this let's let's oh yeah i forgot i forgot to mention this isn't this isn't face day night by the way i did that i did that my video i'm like talking about how like okay there's composers and they give energy to the music arts and then they construct the music arts to fight the bag oh wait this is no this isn't this isn't face day night just stick with me this isn't about you know the masters and servants kind of thing with with face day night and 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 the sad thing is is um tact didn't bother me at first he but when he started just trashing uh cosette it, it it really started really bugging me and got to me and it was like okay i'm i'm just done with this yeah he was Tact was a jerk. <laughs> they tried to do something with him later, but anyways, that's Tact Opus Destiny. If you're if you're interested in the mobile game, I guess definitely watch it. <laughs> definitely watch it. The Great Jahi will not be defeated, or Jahi Sama wa Kuji Kanai. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll for twenty episodes, done by Studio Silverlink. The sources of manga, the genres are comedy, supernatural, and shonen. This one follows the Great Jahi. And Jahi is essentially the second in command for the Demon Lord in the Demon Realm. Did I say Demon Lord or Demon Lore? Demon Lord in the Demon Realm. And at some point, while she's enjoying her lavish life as being this, you know, respected person with superpower, a magical girl shows up. And she immediately passes right past Jahi, destroys this big crystal that the Demon Lord has created that gives them their power, and thus destroys all their power 
and the very fabric of the demon realm, thus kicking Jahi and the rest of the demons in the human realm. And Jahi now there with losing her power that makes her basically when she loses her power, she becomes like this little chibi girl. <laughs> she now has to get a job and transform into her adult self in a limited time to do her job <laughs> so that she can pay her bills for her place that she's staying. And all the while kind of running into different people from the demon realm, the magic girl herself, and uh, just trying to make a living there, even though she hates the idea of, you know, working for a human. <laughs> she still kind of does it because she has to make a living. And all the while, it seems like she runs into different humans that kind of throw her off quite often. So, yeah, your thoughts of, of the delusions of grandeur, the animation. <laughs> I, I I generally enjoyed this show. I, I, I find myself... Uh, during the the entire show, I, I really did have a lot of fun with um, a lot of the goofy skits. Um, every once in a while, it, it, it felt like I it almost like it was using Andrew's term, the roller coaster. Going through this show, it, there was a lot of times where it was like, okay, let's, let's get to a joke, and and some of the jokes just weren't hitting. But when it comes down to it, overall, I just generally enjoyed this show um especially when we got to the the latter parts and actually explaining where the magical girl came from and all that stuff it was like that was a really absurd answer to why we were doing the entire this entire thing happened the, in the origin of the origins to how the demon lord came to power was kind of funny and so it, it, in general i i had a lot of fun with this show i i very much enjoyed it um not it, it's it's not like the greatest comedy of all time but it's definitely a fun goofy comedy that and and having having some of these what would happen to the 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 demon lord the quote unquote demon, demon lord not actually the demon lord the second in command what happened to her after after the demon demon kingdom is defeated what what happens then that it, it, it's a it's a goofy fun show yeah it's so funny because i ended up accidentally saying that jahi thought that she was a demon lord like in the last part of my review recording i end up running into myself saying that you know here's this girl that thinks that she's a demon lord and i'm like wait no she doesn't think she's a demon lord she is the second in command of the demon lord but then when i think about it i think the reason why i made that mistake is because if you really think about it, she was the Demon Lord. Yeah, she was. Like, in a sense, she was the Demon Lord. And I'll leave people to watch the series to know what that means. But in a, in a, in a certain sense, she technically is the Demon Lord. And that's, that was the funny thing about that whole situation was like, oh, okay, so that's what's really happening. It's your own fault. It's your own <laughs> fault. Uh, it is it is funny in that regard. And I, I, I'm glad that you said it that way. And not that I really want you to agree with me, but it's more of a thing of like, that's how I was kind of going with, with the series is I... And keep in mind, I essentially had to binge the second core pretty much straight because I was, you know, typically with multi-core shows, I, I end up falling behind on them. And this was one that I did. And so I wanted to get caught up because I did really enjoy it. And I, I had the same feeling was this is definitely one of those shows where I almost want to say don't binge watch it just because it can get certain aspects of the comedy can kind of get tiresome. But I think the overall concept of the show is really good. It is. It has good setup. It has good set setting for all its comedy. The concept of the whole, you know, I'm I'm this great demon versus the the kind of the kind nature of humans throwing her off is the shtick, and it's really good. Mix into that the fact that she's whenever she's not powered up, she's this little cute chibi girl, and so <laughs> in often cases she's mistaken as a kid. 
uh, or treated like a kid. And that just completely upsets her because she's powerful. Don't look down at me kind of thing, even though they literally have to look down at her. Uh, that was that was the shtick, and it was really good. Um, because it's something that when I open up when, – when the series first opened up, I was sold on it. And I think a lot of that has to do with, again, that delusions of grandeur. This little chibi girl standing on top of a table telling the store manager – I can destroy you with a blink of my eye. And the store manager goes, oh, that's cute. <laughs> and then she kind of embraces her and then pays her. And then the, and then this demon is like, oh, money, so I could pay for my rent and food. <laughs> it's that, that aspect of despite her thinking she's the greatest thing ever, she's not right now. And so she has to, kind of, kind of, she has to learn to rely on other people. And that's something that she can't do because she's got her pride is in the way. And she can't let that pride get away. And then even when it gets to the point where she finally starts accepting it, she has to take a step back because here's her subordinate showing up and they're saying, wait, why are you working for this human? Does she have some dirt on you or something like that? Obviously, you haven't changed. That would never happen. You're the great Jahi. And then she has to kind of fix the situation and kind of hide it. And that was that was always the, the punchline that I thought was really fantastic. And then, like Chris said, there's these I, – I kind of put them in a, a framing of being comedy, but – in actuality, in a lot of these cases where she has to rely on other people, uh, there's a situation where this – the I think it was when the first time the magical girl runs into Jahi again, the landlady comes in and gets her arrested. It was the landlady that came to her rescue because the landlady seen her in trouble and then has this really sweet moment. The, 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 the debilitating sickness episode was fantastic because it had all that heart there where you have this prideful person having to accept the good nature of other people. And so it does kind of mixture in – those really heartwarming moments with the comedy. But I think the problem that this show has, as much as I love all that, and by the way, Jahi's Seiyu, perfect. Like, I I could only think of one other Seiyu that would probably do a better job, and that would probably be Aoyuki. But her Seiyu is perfect choice, because she has a raspiness to her voice, the Seiyu. Um, she was um, the lady in Sugumomo. She has a raspiness to her voice, and I think it works perfect for this little small chibi girl when she's yelling about something. It's just that it was a perfect voice for her. The moment she stood on that table, I was like, perfect. <laughs> you got the perfect you for this. But I think the problem that this show has is in the long run, once it starts, when it, when it introduces each of the characters, they're great because they always kind of inject some sort of comedy to the story. I was a little worried when it came to the magical girl when they started really getting into her because... She had a similar thing to Druge, where they are both, they like to be punished, they like to have pain, they're into that kind of stuff. And so I'm like, wait, wait, you're doing the same character type for both of these characters, but then it kind of shifts the magical girl. But once it introduces all the characters, and they interject their own chemistry to the, to the story and the jokes, at some point it's like you realize, okay, we have little characters now, now we're just kind of killing jokes. Like, okay, we've got the concept developed now you're not really doing anything with it. So I almost feel like the writer kind of loses its way at some point. One prime example was um, Sara, the, the the other girl that wants to take over um, from Jahi. She basically sets up all these traps. <laughs> and it goes to this whole process of the magical girl and Jahi going by these traps. And she keeps going, okay, the next trap, though, it'll definitely get them. Oh, wait, there's the next trap that's definitely going to get them. Okay, and the next trap's definitely going to get them. And I'm like... How many times are we going to do this? We get the joke. <laughs> Just move on. Yeah, Servia was the probably the one that was the weakest of all of the characters. Each one of them, like Andrew was saying, brought something interesting to the to the table. 
it, it and, and it it's frustrating because when when they first introduced her um him her however when they eventually reveal but um the the frustrating thing about that that character was how much I, I don't know if it's more because all of the other characters were were really strong or if that's just how weak that character was and and that's the frustrating thing about it but when it when it the all dog thing it, was great though yeah it, it, <laughs> the dog thing was great she had a, a a solid um when when she was first introduced she was a lot of fun but when it came down to it later on each one every time her joke came out it she just ba- basically piddled out very quickly. Now, the the interesting thing about how this – each one of these characters just have a lot of heart. And so even though – I mean at first the magical girl, they actually pulled off um, making the bad – or the good guy into the bad guy in this show. Um, but when it's finally revealed what's going on – and 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 how they all switched you just realize that every one of these characters just have a lot of heart and Servia is just exactly like that as well and that's the fun thing about this show is while yeah the comedy hits and misses here and there when it comes down to it there's just a lot of heart in all these all of these characters when they're especially Kokoro whose name especially is literally Kokoro heart. is literally heart. <laughs> um, it, 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 it's, it's, it's just fun to see these characters and you do root for a lot of these characters. Even when you finally uh, get the, re- the big bad ultimately revealed and it's like, Oh, that's just kind of sweet and cute. <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah. Solid show overall. I, 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 it's one of those things where I, I do acknowledge the faults that it has, but at the same time, I think, the the best way to put it is if you watch the first couple episodes and you absolutely love Jahi, you're going to love this series. Because I think that's really the central focus is this this prideful girl kind of having to rely on other people. And the, the delusions of grandeur, like I said before, is really the big key thing. So, yeah. If that sounds interesting, you definitely check it out. The great Jahi will not be defeated. I will miss Jahi. It felt like a really solid conclusion, too. Mm-hmm. I, can, I can see it kind of continuing, but it almost felt like a full conclusion. But, yeah. Moving on, we have Blue Period. This one streamed on Netflix, running for 12 episodes. The studio is Seven Arcs. The source is a manga. The genres are drama, slice of life. This is the one that technically started, like, really early. Like, I think it started about the same time the Hike story did, which was, like, in, like, the summer. Like, late summer. And somehow, because Netflix has, like, a three-week delay, <laughs> it still ended up kind of releasing at the normal time. So, good on you, Netflix, for getting around that whole delay thing, even though it was still delayed. Anyways, <laughs> this one uh, basically takes place, it follows a guy named Yatora, and Yatora is a second year in his high school years, and at some point, he is kind of just doing his daily life, you know, going out partying with his friends at night, going home, immediately studying, and going back to school the next day. He gets really high test scores, even though everybody kind of sees him as a delinquent because he kind of just runs around and parties all the time with his friends, um, and that's because he just puts in the effort when he gets home before he kind of passes out. And so he kind of has this, this hatred for, I guess, people assuming that the reason why he's so good at what he does or the school, you know, his grades and everything is because he's just, you know, a genius or whatever. But it's actually because he put in the hard work. Well, at some point, he ends up kind of going to the um, arts club, which is kind of something he's been taking care of. And he ends up running into this huge, massive canvas that has this angel painted on it. And it's done by this classmate, Mori, or not his classmate, it's um, his upperclassman, Mori, 
who has basically put together this art. And she comes in and talks to him, and he kind of relates how, you know, man, I wish I wish I could do a painting like that. It looks incredible. I mean, it must be great to have talent like that. And she's like, you know, what do you mean? I, I got this good because I've done nothing in my entire life but paint this. And that makes him realize, wow, I'm projecting onto her exactly what people do to me. That I, people assume that I'm good at my grades because I'm just a genius, but in actuality, I put in the effort every night. And here's this girl who's basically put in the effort her entire life to make paintings like this. And so he kind of feels bad about that. Which is really funny because the entire show, he keeps doing that. And I keep going, dude, when are you going to stop saying stuff like that? Assuming people are geniuses and they have, you know, inherited talent or something like that. You keep doing it. But anyways, this whole painting inspires him. And at some point, he does a, a kind of an art project where they have him draw something or, or paint something. And he ends up kind of reflecting back to this one morning after he partied all night with his friends and the this kind of downtown area that's usually kind of very, you know, not very good looking, a very rundown area. The morning, like, casting in it made it look all blue. And so he ends up drawing this area, these slums or whatever, this kind of rundown downtown area with this kind of blue painting. And everybody kind of praised him for it. Like, like this looks really good. And he felt good about that. Like, he never had any kind of aspirations for anything in his life. Like, he doesn't even know what he wants to do. But this one time he did something, he put his vision, his memory into painting, and people were praising it. And it felt good. He felt like he finally did something that meant something. And so it, this kind of starts, this sparks this interest in him to get into painting and drawing and doing art. And the only difficulty is <laughs> his family's not rich or anything like that. So it's he's going to have a little difficulty there in kind of you know, selecting which school to go. Art schools are obviously very expensive. Um, obviously, the competition for these art schools are very, you know, difficult. And so he has to kind of tell his mom and kind of convince his mom into the whole situation and eventually start going into prep schools and to eventually trying out to go to Tokyo University of Arts, which is where his senpai went, Mori, ended up going to Tokyo University of Arts. So that's where he wants to go. And obviously the Exams for that are very difficult. There's very few people that will end up getting in there, especially the first tryouts. You know, you get very few people that will actually pass. So that kind of is the, the ordeal. And along the way, he meets a lot of other artists, different people with different perspectives, difficulties that they're facing, and all that kind of stuff along the way. So, yeah, your thoughts on Blue Period. No, <laughs> um, yeah, this one is this is fantastic. I, I I really wasn't sure about this show midway through. Like, early on... I was like, I'm sold. This is this is slice of life perfection right here. Now it, it's sort of a mixture between slice of life and art. So you're kind of getting a back and forth between these really key drama and slice of life moments, and then art. It's it gets really into art. Now I'm not. I I've dabbled in art in the past. I've I've had a point in my life where I really wanted to do art. And I dropped away from it pretty quickly. As much as I wanted to get, I keep wanting to get back into it, uh, especially with being how much I enjoy anime and wanting to draw anime. It's something I dropped behind. And so when it gets really heavy in the show with the art stuff, it kind of loses me. I'm gonna be honest. Um, so it's gonna be a mixed bag for a lot of people as to how much you want to get into that artsy fartsy information stuff because it gets pretty heavy on it. It gets into, you know, how many. Layers of paint am I going to put on this to in order to create a depth of it? Um, the inner perspective, the outer perspective, uh, all these kind of stuff that they're getting into about art itself. Now, 
I could see that in the first episode or two, they were definitely doing perspective and stuff like that. So I can see where they, they were, they could have gone deep into that. The reason why I love this show so much is the characters. The characters are absolutely fantastic. There, there really wasn't a character in this show that I didn't absolutely love. Now, Ryuji, I had issues with early on, but they finally did something with that character later on in the show. I, at the first, I was like, this this character just annoys me to no end. <laughs> like, just get off the screen. Nothing but just, I don't care. <laughs> but everybody else was fantastic. I mean, Mori is just, I love her. She's just, she's just fantastic. I mean, she, her whole story was it basically inspiring Yatara. I love how they end up full circling that story at the very end. The, the Mori is fantastic because she's Yatara's kind of inspiration. She's also Yatara's way of realizing his own hypocrisy and eventually that push he needs. Yatsuki definitely I I had a mixed feeling that Yatsuki he's he very he very much so is a character that hates people that are just really quick to being good at stuff. He's the jealous type that you had this life of being a party animal and now you're doing art like this. It's not fair kind of character. Uh, You have Maki, who's the character that kind of is dealing with the issues of having a family that is into art and having that expectations into yourself. Every character... The teachers were... Oh my gosh, I love all these teachers. (laughs) Oba was great. Saiki was fantastic. The, 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 The... Teachers in the show are just absolute heart and gold. It's just a, a show with really fantastic characters and so many great character moments throughout it. Uh, I specifically remember the moment that Hyatara is trying to convince his mother into let him go to art school and the drawing that he makes of her and how it makes him realize everything she does because it makes him it forces him to look at the details in order to draw it. If you draw something through you know memory, you probably you know you'll draw a figure of a person. But if you have to get into the details of the person, you have to look. And that made him look, and he realized everything she has done for him. It was so emotional. Like, that that scene was what sold me to keep watching the show from the very beginning. And it has these kind of moments. Sprinkle out the entire series is all these characters growing through their love of art or their falling out of love of art. Their desires to be in art. What pushes them their inspirations, their difficulties that each of these characters face in getting into art. And then, at the same time, Yatura and his evolution into art itself, and his learning art. Now, that's where it gets into my, again, like I mentioned earlier, my difficulty of the show. As much as I enjoy art, this show gets exceedingly heavy into... not there, there's It's kind of a mixture. There's, there's points in which it's trying to get into the mechanics of art, you know, how oil painting works, how water painting works, how sketching works, how depth works, all these kind of things about art, perspective and everything. Those are there. But then there's the other side where it's more it's more psychological and emotional. It's, it's getting into how do I take these techniques and apply my own my own self into it. And that's where it kind of gets that's that's really where it gets lost. Like that's where I start getting lost. And so that's really the difficulty that I faced throughout the entire series is while I love these characters, these characters are phenomenal. Yatora's, uh, you know, his maturing, his changing as a character is phenomenal. But then sprinkled throughout that are these really kind of, I hate to put it this way, boring 
emotional application of technique kind of stuff that I just like, okay, uh, we're doing this again. All right, cool. How are they going to... How are they gonna uh, word spaghetti this one this time? Like, you know, how are you how are you gonna mishmash worse and make some weird poem out of this stuff? Now, it gets it, it, you almost feel like you get lost in the weeds as it, it just it starts going off about you know inspiration, and it sucks because it's technically a way of how do you describe inspiration? So I don't fault the writer. It, it's it's a hard thing to really portray. You have a character who's creating art. And so thus he's going to have a word spaghetti of his thoughts because how do you describe how you're feeling and how you put that to art? It's difficult. And I, I do give the writer a lot of credit because you're technically having a story about somebody creating art. And how do you create art that's inspirational when it's technically in a manga? <laughs> so I get I give I give the writer credit. It's just I did have difficulties getting through that word pasta. It's just a very difficult thing to get through when it's just kind of cramming weird inspirational words together to describe inspiration. So, but that aside, like even even my difficulties with those moments, the rest of it was really good. I really did like these characters. I really want to see more of the characters. I don't know if this will ever get a second season. I would love to see more of them. I felt like it was a really, really solid chapter close. Um, so don't get me wrong there. I, I feel like even if I don't get any more adaptation, I want to see more of Mari. Mori would be great. I would love to have an entire manga on Mori, but um, I don't feel like I'm I'm having like a source material bait here. I love the characters. I would love to see more of them. But at the same time, that was a really solid chapter close. And like I said, I think why I feel like it was such a great chapter close is because of how well this writer, at least the director and the script uh, series composition writers chose to end it where it did which again like i said before was a full circle you had the start became the end and i really i i think that's what made it feel like it was a really solid close for the story but yeah love the characters great stories to them great slice of life great drama a little bit crazy in the inspirational stuff it gets a you get a little lost in the weeds sometimes but it was really good so i really enjoyed it it looked really good too so surprisingly good so Mori's best girl. Blue period. Definitely check that out if you're interested in it. The world's finest assassin gets reincarnated into another world as an aristocrat or seikai. Sekai. Saikyo no ansatsu isekai kizoku ni tensai suru. Or I'm sorry, tensei. It got me again, Chris. <laughs> got me again. Dang tensei. Uh, I'll probably do it later with, with Mushuku Mish- Mish- later, so we'll see. This one's streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes. Studio is Silverlink and Studio Palette. This one was, the source was a a light novel. The genres are action, adventure, drama, fantasy, mystery. Why is that miswati? Interesting. Romance. (laughs) Uh, Director on this one was Tamura Masafumi, who did Misfit of Demon Demon King Academy. The series composition by Katsuhiko... Takayama, who did Ano Zero, Big Order, F Memory Melodies, and Sagrada Reset. And the creator was, of course, Rui Sukio, who did Redo of Hiller. Dum dum dum. Because it's not really a mystery. <laughs> dum dum dum. It's a, mis- a, mis- a misery. I don't think it's a misery. A misery. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, this one essentially follows an assassin in our modern times of the world, uh, basically raised by this organization to do nothing but assassinate people. Which he did willingly because this organization took him in when he was young and starved and took care of him. And so he spent his entire life working for them, killing any target they asked him to, without question. 
until eventually the day that he decides that he's going to retire because he's really old. <laughs> and as he is on a plane heading away from his last target and he's you know excited about being retired and training up-and-coming assassins, uh, the organization blows up his plane, kills him and everything. And usually whenever you die in this world, you will basically have your mind, your entire memory wiped out, your entire self wiped out, and then you will be reborn into another body. Well, this goddess, Ahem, decides to stop his rebirth process, bring him in and say, hey, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you an – I'm going to offer you this exchange. If you – I will let you keep your memories of your entire life before, and I will give you everything you need in order to do this process – if you go to this other world that's full of fantasy, magic, and swords, and you kill the hero of this world. You're this great assassin. She jokes about the fact that you were assassinated even though you're the greatest assassin. <laughs> but I'm going to offer this, you know, chance to do this. And so he basically agrees. He feels like a little bit of, you know, anger about the fact that he spent his entire life in the previous life working for some organization just to have that organization kind of kill him. Uh, so he decides that, you know, this going forward, my next life, I'm going to do everything by my own choice. Everything, I'm, I'm going to kill this target. Well, he, he does imply the idea that, you know, he possibly just stop, stop the target rather than kill it. But he's going to do this one thing for this goddess. But everything else going forward is going to be his choice. So he's going to kind of change his life around. So she gives him pretty much max ability that she can give him, that she's able to give him. The, the hero has, like, an un, unlimited cap, so he's a lot more stronger. But... She's going to give him, like, the max that she can and let him choose his skills, and then he gets reborn in this other world. In the Twitaha, Twitaha, Twita I can't, I remember how it's said. Twathaha. Twathaha. Uh, this, this, this family of assassins that basically kill for this kingdom, any, any kind of sickness within this kingdom, they will, you know, basically investigate, and if that target is definitely a, an illness within this kingdom, they will kill it. And so he's raised as an assassin from birth, you know, trained all these different skills at the same time, again, you know, still having his knowledge from his previous life, eventually learning about magic, how magic works, how you can kind of utilize numeric values to mass and stuff to create stuff in this world. So he starts creating like weapons and stuff from his previous world, obviously, uh, starts to kind of gather different girls that have mana capabilities to work under him as he does assassinations and eventually doing his first real job. Your thoughts on the world's finest assassin gets reincarnated into another world as an aristocrat? I am very happy with this show. I I I was a little bit ambivalent going into it, um, mostly because of what we know about this writer. <laughs> um, but when it comes down to it, when I I I've always been attracted to this um, the the character artwork that this writer i don't know if it's him specifically or the the or her whatever um this mangaka's specifically that is or this author author is um if, if it's their specific artwork or if they are getting it um done but f for whatever reason the artwork that's associated with this manga or writer um is is fantastic and i've always been attracted to it and so I've always wanted to see um, a lot of these shows. Um, so it was really, really, ha I was really happy to come away from this knowing that this one is not as dark as the other one. So when it comes down to it, getting into their story, what I do f uh, like about the way this person writes is they seem to take a lot of time with 
motivations. Um, why is this person doing what they're doing? Um, now they might not always be clear, but when it comes down to it, it, it does. Oh no, they're like, not clear sometimes. <laughs> when it comes down to it, they seem to. It seems to be very much in line with this person has this motivation. They're going to do this, and that's and and trying to actually understand those reasons. the The frustrating thing is, I maybe it's not as in in their head, but I don't know. I I seem to think that, or I feel like they they're doing this. This writer does well with it. Oh, I thought you were. Is that I'm it? letting I'm letting you get your 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 frustration out. Which frustration? Well, you feel like they're not um, clear on on motivations. So. Oh, I was just joking about the Dia thing. Oh, like, okay. Uh, at some point, we've, we're we're supposed to know that he loves Dia and that he wants to marry her. And I'm like, wait, wait, when do we establish this? <laughs> I did. I I w- The problem with the, the entire series, not, not the problem. The great thing about this show is it's a different take on Isekai. Now we've had Isekais where. You know, usually, typically, at the latest, early 20s, person gets isekai into another world. Uh, Mushoka Tensei is technically an oddity, but he's still technically a man-child. So, I don't even count that as an adult being transported. This is literally an adult. This is an old, wise adult that is set in their ways that gets transported into another world. And I think that's really fascinating. Like, what can this do? The first issue that I felt with the adaptation, they, they should have kept the older Seiyu doing his inner dialogue. That was the biggest mistake that they made because like Mushoku Tensai, I think that that inner dialogue being the older self helps you remember that they're an, an adult inside. Like Lou him, himself reincarnated as this kid named Lou. Lou himself is obviously a young kid. I mean, he starts off with it as an infant and he's young and everything like that. He seems like he should be. Obviously, he's talking as a young kid. And he tries to give off the perception that he is, even though most of the time he's just more stoic. But inside, you know that there's this really old guy, this old assassin, that is, again, set in his ways. And he's always, like, calm and calculative about everything he does because he's been killing for, who knows, he probably was only, like, 30 years old in this previous life. It's just they made him out to be, you know, <laughs> 60. 60 or something. But he felt like, he, he looked like he was 60 or something. So, that was the cool thing. That is the interesting thing this thing has to offer. Now, what comes of that is that everything he does is calculative. He is, like I've said a million times before, the demon in shining armor. He looks like he's doing great things, but it's always to use people. He's he's doing favor for the village. He's doing all this stuff to help the village because he needs the village to like him and, obviously, his family. He brings in Tart. He saves her, clothes her, feeds her. But it's all to quote unquote brainwash her into thinking that she's he's helping her so that she'll never betray him. That was the worst example of how brainwashing works, but we'll not go there. Uh, so he brings her in and takes care of her to use her. Maha is being sold into basically selling her body. He comes up as a knight in shining armor to whisk her away. The prince comes to save her, but it's to use her. Everything is to use people. So that was where I was getting to was the thing that I, it frustrated me halfway through the show. I'm not sure if they cut something out when they adapted it or if we're just supposed to assume. At some point, he says, I love Dia. I'm going to marry her. And I'm like, wait, when did we establish this? <laughs> like, is he again? And that was me going, 
so wait, it's is it it's it's him trying to use obviously she is of this count. She's the daughter of the count of this other kingdom. Maybe he wants to get in with them. He's using that for power. He's marrying her for power. My mind starts running into how is he using her? I never knew if he really did love her, and I don't think that was ever established. I don't even know. It, it could be he, it was never established, and it never will be established. It was just one of those things, like, I was just joking about that was just more of a, yeah, no, they didn't explain that at all. <laughs> never explained that at all. But I, based on how things unfold, I'm assuming it's still, I, don't, I, don't, I guess that speculating would be with spoilers, so I'll leave it at that. At that. So. Yeah, other than that, it was it was it was everything was pretty clear. Um, he was just really using people, and I really liked that aspect of it. The thing that I was drawn to with the show was that whole aspect of here's my previous life. I did nothing but kill for this one organization. Now I can make my own choices. Now I'll never forget my choices. Now I will, you know, investigate my choice, which was kind of very convenient that he ends up getting born into the family that essentially chooses their targets and investigates before killing. Very convenient. <laughs> But he's able to choose now. And it was really interesting. The thing that I, I liked most about it was, again, that gray area it's living in. It's it's living in this gray area of he's technically doing good, but he's also bad. He He's feeding Tart and giving her a place to stay, but he's also using her. She's a tool. And then at some point I realized, and I don't know why I didn't realize before, at some point Tart start it gets into Tart's head. And Tart starts going off about how he doesn't want to be a tool anymore, so I'll be his tool. And I'm like, Lou, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> you're <laughs> literally a hypocrite now. The, the show has just literally called you a hypocrite. The writer basically said, and then Tart said this, and then parentheses says, ha ha, my own main character is a hypocrite now. Like, the writer literally slapped that label right on your forehead. You are now a hypocrite, Lou. And I, I love that. And it, it felt like the writer was acknowledging the fact that its main character had become, at this point, an absolute hypocrite. And I'm, I, that was the, that was the only thing that I'm struggling so much with, with how this show has ended is those kind of things that it sprinkled throughout the show. I loved. And now I so badly want to see if the writer's going to do something with it. My big, and, and I don't know that this is, uh, I'll leave it. I'll leave it. My, my I know they're going to do something cra- crazy with Tart. I just have a feeling my prediction, they're going to do something really crazy with Tart. Now, he could not. The writer could just completely squander the fact that that, that looks like a really good setup. And it feels, like it's, it feels like it's teasing it really heavily, especially with what Maha said about Tart. But I don't know if they'll ever actually do anything with it. But the sad thing is I will never know because I don't know if this will ever get a sequel. It feels very sequel-ish. Like, if the, the ending doesn't feel like, like source material bait. Like, I don't feel mad about the ending. But at the same time, it feels like... There should have been another episode. Like, it feels like, okay, now next episode? Not not a bad way, but in a way that I'm like, okay, this can go on. So, the only problem I have with the show. So, I've, I've, I've ranted about everything I love about the show. My big beef with the show. To give my negatives. There's a huge chunk of the middle that sucks. <laughs> like, there's a huge chunk of the middle that's like, no, Rui Sukio, this is not what you're doing good. Like, you're doing so much good here at the beginning. You're doing so much good here at the end. This isn't this show. Like, you don't have to do this part in the middle. Now, it's important story-wise that Lou establishes an alternate identity. I understand that part. And his father technically trying to create an out for him. 
The problem is that middle section isn't the show. That isn't Lou. It was it was essentially taking this hardened, calm, collective old man in this new body and trying to do all the harem stuff, the isekai harem stuff right in the middle there. And it it's not that I don't want it. It's that I don't fit I don't feel it fits. So you have him kind of in the middle here in the section where he's, you know, create the merchant empire, do all this trade stuff, you know, put all your thoughts of the you know modern times into the current times. You know, oh, a moisturizer. Wow, this world has never had this, so I can make this a lot of money with this. And that whole middle section just felt like it doesn't fit. And it, again, was trying to get so mixed up in the harem stuff. Maha's super thirsty for him. Tart wants him. Goofy shenanigans. They wake up in bed with him, and he's had his little morning oopsie that you know boys have, and and I, I, it doesn't it doesn't feel like that. And that was that was again that part where I almost felt like they should have kept his inner dialogue as the old man because it's not him. It's not his character, and it never felt like his character. So that was the stain. Like that middle section was like, oh my gosh, what are we doing here? Please, it was like um, what right after they met Maha. And all the way up until that end section with Dia. It was like, I just felt like that was a big waste of time. And that was, and it sucks because if they could have got rid of that, we could have get to that tart stuff that I wanted to get into. So, yeah, and, the, and the, the goddess was really great. Like, early on, I loved the goddess, the goddess Ahem. She was fantastic because her hope's perspective is that she keeps bringing people into this world. Like, there's... Apparently, the way that they're kind of implying is that there's goddesses and gods. I don't know if they ever explained it. They said that it was gods. But there's goddesses that are basically isekaiing people over and letting them retain their memories all for the sake of taking down the hero. Because they know that when the hero kills the demon lord, they're going to go berserk and they need to stop that. Otherwise, it destroys the world. And so they're just trying to bring in as many heroes they possibly can and isekaiing them into the world to take care of this threat. And obviously, Lou is one of them. But they're like... (laughs) It was funny at first because it's like the, the special enforcers guy. There was the samurai that for some reason decided to take up fencing. Um, the the teacher, the 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 rapper. Yeah, it got kind of really lazy. Dumb after a while. Yeah, that was my problem. Is like after a while, I was like, okay, I guess they just ran out of ideas. Like, there's so many more things you could do. You can do. I can kill you. I'll murder you with my words. I mean, yeah. really? <laughs> it was just an excuse to have a rap. Let's be honest. But like, yeah, the teacher. Like, you're gonna teach them to not do it i don't know it was just at some point and it was always weird because it always it always played it out as as like you know 30 years before they reincarnated them and then 30 years later which would be the right now where lou is at and they're trying to kill the demon the the hero and it's like wait she said specifically you have to wait until he kills a demon lord before you kill the hero so why are all these people she's reincarnated in this world trying to kill the hero at this time when lou's like what 12 or something like that I felt that was like a little bit of a oopsie, <laughs> a little bit of an oopsie. Yeah. yeah. The, 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 the other thing that, that kind of, um, I did, I did, that did raise my eyebrow a little bit was the whole system administration thing. I don't want to get digging into that too much because that might be spoiler. Or so, but that was kind of one of those things. It's like, wh- where exactly are we going with this? Um, but it is what it is. Um, but I did, I, I, I I didn't have as much of a problem with the uh the Illig Blar uh Illig Illig yeah. Blar yeah. Um I I kind of I 
Valor. It, it worked for me. So, but uh, as as kind of a character building um, for a uh, for Maha and and Lug in particular, but. It, it, it Man, is how fast Maha became a super assassin. That was a trip. It was like <laughs> scene chains. Not even a month later, she's suddenly jumping through roofs, uh, ceilings, and and killing people. I'm like, wait, wait, like just like a scene before this, she was like a poor, defenseless, poor girl. Now, granted, she was working in the streets. She could have learned some skills there, but we're not talking like crazy assassin techniques here. That was kind of funny. Sorry, but when it comes down to it, I, I overall, I very much enjoyed the start, the this this show. Um, I, I really did feel like at the end, I, I wanted more. Um, which is to me a, a sign of a, a well, well done storyline. Um, yeah, we talk about manga bait all the time, and for a lack of a better term, I probably I think it chapter ended fairly well, but yeah, I, I definitely want more at the end of this show, I for sure. Yep, yep. World's Fine Assassin. Check that out if that's interesting to you. Moving on, the fruit of evolution. Before I knew it, my life had it made. Not you, just his life. Shinka no mi shinanai uchi ni kachigumi jinsei. This one streamed on a Crunchyroll run for twelve episodes. Studio is Children's Playground Entertainment and Studio Phil. The source is a light novel. The genres are adventure, comedy, fantasy, romance. This one follows a guy named Seichi. Him, along with all of his other classmates, get transported to another world by some weird guy that like speaks through the speakers and says, hey, we're transferring everybody. Group up if you want to. And, of course, he doesn't get grouped up with anybody because everybody thinks that he's fat and smelly, so everybody ditches him. He ends up transported somewhere else while everybody else gets like transported mostly to... Like this one town or kingdom where they're then going to be trained by the kingdom to fight the demon lord eventually. Um, but no, Seichi, he's alone, he's fat, he's stinky, uh, the exile. And at some point while he's starving, he ends up eating some fruits that are the fruit of evolution. And as he eats them, just to, you know, not starve to death, he starts to change a little bit over time. Ends up running into a big pink gorilla that fights him and then falls in love with him. And then... Ends up running into this guy that I think was, like, betrayed by somebody, and so he wants to kill all humans, and then they fight for a little bit, and and the pink gorilla gets, like, mortally wounded, and he saves the, 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 the or he, he falls in love with the pink gorilla, and then it transports, it transforms into a cute moe girl, and so everything's cool. They beat the ghost, and then they go to a town where they end up running into a guild where there's a lot of very interesting individuals there, and, um... Yeah, beyond that, Chris would have to let you know. <laughs> um, this this show, it's it's such a comedy is not for everybody. So some so, or <laughs> subjectively, co- co- subjective. comedy is subjective. Okay, subjective. I, I want to be very clear about this. I absolutely had a blast with the show. Wow, it is, it's changing. He's never said an absolute blast. He's like, I, I really well, enjoy it. it. Now it's I, an absolute blast because he has to <laughs> offset the anger about people afterward. Well, no, the, and this is... The, I, the, I told you, it's going to keep getting bigger. He's going to keep building it up. This is the frustrating thing. I have ha- gotten so much crap about how much I like this show. Keep, keep and this keep is, building this is the frustrating thing. I, just because I like the show doesn't mean it's the greatest show ever. I that just like this show. That was a pretty big thing that you started with, though. <laughs> you really like this show. It, 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 the, the funny thing about this show is that it has so much absurdity factor in this. Um we're talking about one in particular scene. He is releasing somebody from from slavery, and I thought you were going to say the part where he releases Bo. 
No, I, I, I've never been big on body humor. That's it is what it is. Um, but one of the thing he he has this ability to create magic at some point. Yes, he. This is literally the definition of an OP uh, main character. Okay. It, he what was it like every time he kills a target he gets like the maximum potential loot yes and then he gains a skill card or something like that mm-hmm yeah so he's literally gaining a, he he's like the ultimate um slime I, I mean slime to the nth degree um he he gains the ability to um create magic at some point and he's trying to uh you know how they they have those um uh collars that are super ultimate callers that make everybody uh, that, that there's no way to remove it because, well, he up uh, he ends up creating a magic that makes it to where he can remove the the, the collar, and during so the so course, is it, so is it kind of like uh, I don't know what was that one show where the guy uh, makes like a super clean rag that removes the belt princess's <laughs> thing that doesn't Maybe. sound like the same thing. <laughs> And so to to Which, what was that show called? That was um, that was the Belt Princess, and he was it was the the dungeon next the the village yeah. next to the last dungeon or something like that. Yes, that boy from the yeah, dungeon next it. to the last dungeon. Anyway, he so he, to create the magic, he he tries to in, in, envision something to to make the uh, to to that removes slavery, and his 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 envisioning was. Abraham Lincoln. So Abraham Lincoln pops out of nowhere to remove the chains from this uh, this character. That is the the level of absurdity that they put into this this show. Is they do something that is the the and then they use that to um, to fix the problem. I one of the uh, like Andrew was saying, a gorilla is 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 your quote unquote main love interest. And and then from there on, there's just other characters that are just as absurd as a gorilla as a love interest. We have, um, yes, a donkey at some point <laughs> becomes a, a love interest. That is just how crazy this show is. It's so much fun, at least for me. I I had a blast watching this show. It's just that goofy. Yeah. There you go. The Fruit of Revolution. It didn't work for me. It was it, it's it's. It, I, I agree that it's very uh, absurd, absurd comedy, and that's that's what it is through and through. So if you're looking for absurd comedy, I, I definitely agree with it. I just didn't didn't work for me. Um, I, I think a lot of it was off putting with the B, the the whole bo humor stuff like that. That stuff really kind of I don't know. And and that that that's the thing is that was really literally and then only the near, first nearly getting episodes. assaulted in a alleyway next to the guild like right after that. That, I'm that like, was I'm just not yeah. doing this no more. I'm done. <laughs> that was my last. I was like, okay, the, the room full of crazy is, people. Gustav, uh, they they make an appearance towards the end, but they don't do that that thing. That that literally, you're talking about the first two episodes, and and yeah. after that, I it, watched, it, I watched they move the on. Third, I think, because it had um, art the the saber wannabe character Artria. Arcana. I mean, I, I there's there's no doubt that you'll probably find something else that kind of bothers you, but yeah. Literally, those are the two first two episodes. <laughs> Keep bringing to the bad stuff. You just gotta, you just gotta watch for a few I, hours. I, and I, it gets good. I, I know, and that's, <laughs> that's, that's the frustrating thing. That's the that's the, that's why I say it. it's like I for for all I know, you might find uh, the donkey annoying, and it, I I 
it, after, it's okay, Chris. You don't you don't have to you don't have to defend it. It's okay. It, well, it, and that's okay. the thing. It, I mean, it's, it's not okay. the greatest show ever. It's don't, not. But don't put it in your top ten of all time. No, I'm not. Don't don't be don't be up because it, when, when it comes down to it, you, 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 you want me to you want me to give this a, this show crap? It looks like garbage. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it I mean, I, I I remember literally. I am sure that Andrew has it on his text. I remember t- taking a picture of the OP, and the OP looked like garbage. And I was like, "This is a bad sign." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Moving on, Super Crooks. This one streamed on Netflix. Ran for thirteen episodes. I think it dropped late November, like full drop, as Netflix likes to do sometimes. It was done by Studio Bones. It was uh, based on a comic that was done by Mark Miller. Uh, the yeah, this one essentially follows. It takes it's a superhero type of setting where you have superheroes and supervillains, uh, different people that have different types of abilities. It kind of starts off with this boy named Johnny Bolt, who at some point realized that he has the potential of using some sort of ability to control electricity, and he tries to do his big superhero debut. Things don't end too well, <laughs> and thus it jumps forward. It's kind of one of those things where it starts off with somebody who wants to be a hero. But then because of an accident, it kind of creates this downward spiral spiral to them being essentially a bad guy in the end. So it kind of jumps forward to him being an adult. He's just getting out of this prison, which is called Supermax, because they have like this one prison that's designed to house supervillains and anybody, any villain that has superpowers, basically. And so he's coming out of there. He's going to go back into his normal life with his girlfriend, Casey, and... They're going to move on with their life, but then his friends who are all, you know, not really bad people, but they have super abilities and they, they want to do bad things in order to make monies because it's all big fun thrill, uh, end up kind of roping them back into it and they get right back into stealing stuff again. And this ultimately kind of starts opening up this world and how it's kind of set up. As you kind of find out, there's like this villain network, which is like this group of uh, people that's all kind of... Um, ran by this guy named the boss or the bastard. The bastard is like this guy that everybody fears and he is the biggest supervillain of them all. And the way that he and his signi- uh, his his group of villains, the way they get around prison and everything like that and being charged for anything is that they essentially create jobs for villains to do just the run of the mo- uh run of the mill villains. They create jobs for them to do. They will do that job, and they have to give the bastard, his villain organization, a cut of it. And so the fear there is, is that if you're a villain and you do anything outside of his eye, like if you do a job where you make a lot of money and you don't give him his your cut, even if you just think of an idea and you do something and you still and you don't give him a cut, he'll hunt you down. And everybody extremely uh, fears him extremely because he has a habit of not just killing you. <laughs> But killing everybody you know. Like, before he kills you, he'll kill your family. He'll kill your your friends. He'll kill your everybody around you until you beg him to kill you. And that's that's why everybody fears him. And that why, that's why nobody double-crosses him. If you do a job, you're going to pay him. And so it gets kind of heavy in that whole idea. And eventually Johnny and his team will eventually kind of get wrapped up in that, in a, in, a, in a sense. But it's all this idea of these people just trying to get that one big heist to make a lot of money, to have it set for life, but also that, that kind of thrill of the heist itself is obviously in there as well, as these people will, you know, even if even if they don't want to get into trouble again, 
there's still that thrill. Like, okay, we can do this again. Let's go, let's go hit these ATMs. Let's do this or that in order to make money. And of course, on the opposite end, you do have the, you know, the League of Heroes, the, the people that will save the day. And it gets very little into that. Like, I think this, the most of this show is more focused on the villains of anything. Um, there's like a little sprinkle of getting into characters like Praetorian, who is one of the heroes who kind of feels like one of those heroes that will like destroy a room of people just to get to the bad guy. He's that it's, I, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. It's, it's like the boys. The anime. <laughs> I got so much crap for saying this is the boys, the anime. <laughs> I'm sorry. There's a lot of similarities here. I, I, and there's probably plenty of other sources that do the same thing. It's just I've I've watched The Boys uh, a while back, and I just feel a lot of similarities here. There's a character that blows people's heads up. There's the whole – most of the perspective is from the bad guys trying to one-up the quote-unquote good guys. Now, granted, in The Boys, the majority of the focus was people that didn't have superpowers trying to take down the superheroes that did them wrong. And but it has that feeling of like Praetorian feels like the quote unquote Superman character from the boys. The again, the guy that blows up people's heads. There's a lot of little sprinkled similarities here that I do kind of find. And that's not a bad thing. It's just I just I felt like that was so much of a similarity that a lot of this story wasn't surprising to me because I felt those similarities. That's the only problem with that. But I don't know. So I I don't really know. It's kind of settled for me. I, I I obviously watched the show the day it released. I released a video reviewing it. I was I was kind of middle of ground with it, I think. But I think a lot of people got too caught up in me saying the boys, and it just it just blew up into a big discourse about if it's the boys or not. And I'm like, I don't really care. It was just a similarity I wrote. I don't think most of the people watched my video. They just basically read the thumbnail and said, "Oh, he's just saying it's the boys. It's not the boys because this is." watch the video i make a couple similarities there and then i move on but it is one of those shows where i don't for an anime fan i don't think this is going to be enjoyable because it feels so western it's obviously written by or wrote by a western writer it is a comic book done by bones the only thing that you really have here is that bones did it that's that's the real tie-in with anime is bones um, I think it looks good. There's a lot of really good animation points. There's a lot of fun fights. There is a lot of CGI, which I didn't think looked good at all. As much as people wanted to like up certain scenes, I'm like, yes, yeah, a lot of those scenes just look really bad with the CGI. But it's a fun concept. I think the thing that was the biggest draw, obviously, to me was that Johnny Bolt was done by Kendro Suda. I really love Kendro Suda. I don't feel like it's his best work. I didn't I didn't feel Kendro Suda in Johnny Bolt at all. Um I don't know if that was just a directing choice or just he didn't get to have as much fun with that character as he normally does with most other characters. He doesn't he doesn't get the Kendra Suda uh, dialect in there at all. But um, yeah, I, I I think my issue that I really have with the show as a whole, and I think this is probably because it's a Western writer, is typically with a lot of things like this in a Japanese sense is you get more into the characters where I think this was more about the story like the western feel of getting into the story rather than the characters so these characters didn't feel very fleshed out i mean sammy sammy and roddy diesel the diesel brothers they were a lot of fun because their whole shtick was that they can regenerate themselves so obviously they're the ones that do the most outlandish things to beat somebody up like literally sticking your foot into a blade to blind somebody with the blood the blood of your tore up leg 
that kind of stuff they can do. So they're more absurd because they can do bodily stuff with their character that just throws you off. Uh, Praetorian was very kind of terrifying and interesting. In all, I think I think Praetorian was probably the most interesting character because he was so twisted and weird, and I wanted to know more, more, more about him. Johnny Bolt didn't really feel like much was going for him besides wanting the thrill of the heist. Casey just trying to keep Johnny in check. Uh, they did something cool with her in the later parts. The villains were the more interesting aspect. Like, Praetorian was interesting. Uh, technically, Carmine was interesting. He's technically a villain. Uh, the Bastard was interesting. His whole story was was twisted. The main characters, the, the quote-unquote good guys, weren't all that interesting. And they were the majority of the show. And I think that's what the struggle that I had with it was that there's fun moments. There's crazy action points moments, especially around the Diesel Brothers. But... There's the characters aren't that interesting, and that's the struggle when the characters are the focus. But I don't know. It gets some cool stuff later on. Like I said, really surrounding the bastard Carmine, um, this other guy, which I forget what his name was, like the wizard or something like that. That stuff was cool, but overall, it was kind of boring. I, I think like early on, I just got kind of I got I sort of bored like halfway through the show. But it was a gun. If you're into like superhero stuff, it's definitely worth a watch. It's just expected to be pretty Western, um, and how it kind of plays out things. So, so was anybody bold enough to steal from the bastard and then give the bastard a cut of the money? That that would have been awesome. Mm, that would be cool. <laughs> That's literally the entire show. Watch. It is. Totally. It's, it, it, that's the Ocean's Eleven thing that comes in later on. But yeah, that's um, yeah, that's Super Crooks. Check that out if that's interesting to you. And I haven't watched any of that show, so if that actually is the story. <laughs> Respond to Another World second season, or Isekai Shokudo. This one's streamed on Crunchyroll, run for 12 episodes. Studio Silverlink, Source is a light novel, genres, mystery, comedy, fan. I'm assuming the genres are the same. I don't think that things, anything's changed. No, nothing really changed. It didn't oh, turn food, into horror. Just, just same food. I don't think there's a genre of food. <laughs> there can be a theme, I think, but yeah. So, season I two. I would say mystery, though. What, 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 what happened? How was it? Is it good? Yeah, it... it, it did you watch it? Yes, I put I did. it in the list. Um, the, this show... The, it 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 pretty much centers around a uh a a chef who's taken over a um a restaurant that on pretty much every saturday i want to say it's saturday it, it's satur uh in the other world so that leans towards probably saturday in our world but i i don't know if that if they had mentioned that i don't remember if they did but when it comes down to it, he takes over this restaurant. The restaurant was uh, originally built or I guess built um, in, by his grandfather. And he takes over it uh, and and his grandfather passes away or whatever. And he, he continues on this um, basically ritual of having the, the restaurant ready to go on set uh, on Saturday and these if it is Saturday. these beans these beans come from another world um by finding these uh doors that uh in their world that leads to his restaurant and basically they they come in and they uh they order whatever they want and he gives them um their food and then it pretty much goes through a process of them reacting to the food and then they go on about their lives 
Now, one of the things that I really did enjoy about it in the first season was it, it, it balanced fairly well between these characters and telling their story in the other world and then them coming in and then enjoying a food and what they between them, what they'll go through to get to these these doors to enjoy this food and balancing what their real lives are. And that's one of the things that I did very much enjoy about it. Um, into the second season, while it still does do a lot of the um, stories in, in uh, peppered in with it, it seems to be more focused around the food itself. So in, in, in some ways, it, it did kind of lose a lot of its flavor that I did enjoy in the first season. Uh, However, uh, flavor. <laughs> you see all those Sorry, I'm that to I'm totally not doing. Um, no, I'm, I'm really not. I, I'm just joking. And I think the, it opens up the doors to other opportunities. It opens up these <laughs> doors to other opportunities. Actually, it does do that. <laughs> um, interestingly enough, um, some of the things that they were doing in this particular season was more along the lines of how the, uh, the chef was affecting the other world, which is kind of more implied by some of these characters wanting to recreate his in uh his recipes in their world and them going through the process of trying to figure out what foods in their world will Does he uh, give stat what... boost foods? No, um just just stats. in general um uh like they 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 do go through the entire process of um, this, this, um, this food equals this in their world. So, uh, in particular, they make reference to orangs a lot, which is, uh, actually, uh, onions, if I remember right, because they're constantly talking about onions. I hate onions, <laughs> but yeah, they, uh, they talk about it constantly through the entire show. They, they talk about night sauce. Well, at least that's what the translation ended up being. So, um, but they they do that a lot in in this this particular season. So it it seems to be more along the lines of trying to recreate the recipes from his world into their world. So and then they kind of do this kind of topping of everything off as food is the great uh uniter, which is one of the really cool things that did actually end up happening in the second season. So all in all, I still love this show. Um it I'm not as hot as I was on it in the the first season, but it, it's not like I was particularly super high on this this show anyway. But it is a it 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 is a fun, just chill show. I would almost if it wasn't for as kind of more weaker in general, I wouldn't. I I almost would put this as more of a healing show than anything. But it's it it is a a lot of the characters are really loud, so I wouldn't. I'm not sure that I would put it in that category anyway. So yeah, I think a lot of people have that struggle with the first season. Was that wanting it to be more um, Yashike labeled as a healing show, just because of, I mean, what it's kind of doing. But I think that's the problem that most people have with most food shows. They want to kind of call it a Yashike, but most food shows have the reactionary booms and the yeah. loud characters. But even still, it's a healing show to them because they like food, and that's. That's been my that's been my problem with always with all these food shows. I don't really care about food. <laughs> I, I just I don't have that fascination. But there you go. Restaurant to Another World second season. Alright, moving on, we have Muv Love Alternative. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll running for twelve episodes. They already have a second season announced. It will be in fall of twenty twenty two, which I'm super excited for. 
Studio is Graphenica, Yumita Company, and Flagship Line. So three studios working on it. Uh, the source is a visual novel. The genres are action, drama, mecha, and sci-fi. Series composition was done by Tatsuhiko Urahata, who did uh, script work for Arya, um, Hanasaki Roha, series composition for Zuri Zuri Children. And uh, yeah, the music, I had a stereotype foundation on here because obviously got to point that out. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> Anyways, this one, uh, it's basically an alternative history type setting where you have it opens up in 1973 when an alien life form launched uh, to the moon, uh, from the moon to Earth which is an alien life forms that they eventually call the beta. And the beta are beings of extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial origin and adversaries of human race, which I'm so glad they coin as beta because I don't want to read that all your time and talk about them. Uh, later on, they basically have this invasion happening and we kind of jump forward to 1998 in which this beta, uh, after pretty much decimating Europe, they start advancing to Japan itself uh, it jumps to the Sato base in 2001 as it opens up the show itself, which follows a guy named Shirogane. And Shirogane, it's very weird starting off. I, I I kind of forget that this kind of happened when the show opened up, but apparently it opens up with Shirogane. He's this boy, and he realizes very quickly that he's able to jump time. Uh, it kind of starts out, he's in this kind of mecha suit, and he's fighting these beta, and eventually something happens to him, and he awakens back in time further, uh, back in the past, where he's able to play out the scenario again. It almost feels like it's going to be one of those, you know, live, die, repeat kind of scenarios where he's trying to change things, and a beta kills him, and then he goes back in time again. But it really just kind of opens up like that, but never really kind of plays off that again. Instead, you having him have this knowledge of what's possibly in the future he eventually kind of tries to uh, work with the people around him in order to uh, stop this eventual Alternative 5, which Alternative 5 is where mankind has finally given up on Earth itself because they can't beat the beta, and this group of humans that they can possibly fit in the ship will exit the Earth and leave everybody behind and thus pretty much lose the Earth itself. And so... Him knowing that this alternative five will eventually happen, he decides based on the time that he jumps back to, if I can make alternative four, which is the project before that, if I can make that a success, we won't have to resort to alternative five, which means mankind abandons Earth. And so he quickly runs into the base nearby where he knows that this um, Yuko Kozuki is working on alternative four, confronts her and says, hey, look, I know this alternative five is going to happen it cannot happen. What can I do to help you make Alternative 4 a success? And so she's kind of not really wanting to trust and believe what he's saying, but because she's a scientist, she kind of has theories behind that. So she eventually kind of trusts him and decides to go along with him and brings him into the academy so that he can train to become one of these pilots and works along with him with what knowledge he has of the future in order to prevent this alternative five that they don't want to happen. And so it gets him, he's in this academy, he's training alongside all these other people that were... Here's the other weird twist. He's technically not from this world. <laughs> so this is sort of an isekai. On top of him being able to relive the situation and know what's in the future of this world, he's also technically from a alternative parallel world where everybody he's working with in this world were just normal people. His, the other pilots that he works alongside and trains alongside were his classmates of his previous world. 
this professor that's working on Alternative 4 was his teacher in that world. So everybody around him existed in this parallel world where Beta did not exist. And so at some point, realizing he needs to you know, survive in this world, he wants to end the Beta threat. But at the same time, he does eventually want to go back to his previous life and eventually get to the point where he doesn't just want to leave this world. He wants to protect this world and the people within it that he's gone bonds with and, and then eventually go back to his previous world. So, yeah, it's weird. <laughs> but it's not that complicated. I think I'm just making it more complicated than it really has to be. But, yeah, so it's basically him training, him utilizing his knowledge to help them out and predict certain things coming up. It doesn't seem like he knows everything right off the bat. He's not able to kind of, like, write down, okay, on this day this happens, this day this happens. It seems like things come to him over time. Everything's kind of vague to him until it gets close to that period of time, and then he'll remember things, and then they can react to it. But over time, uh, a lot of the focus in the earlier segments of the series ha- was around the concept of the alternatives, Alternative 4, Alternative 5, preventing Alternative 5, uh, training, utilizing his knowledge in things like video games. That, that was a kind of an interesting, weird thing that they do is how he helps them design the mechanics of the mechas they use um, he utilizes knowledge of video games, which this world doesn't really necessarily have because they're so focused on surviving the beta since, what was it, like I said earlier, what, 1973? So they've been attacked by the beta since 1973, so obviously they don't have things like video games like we have because they've been so focused on survival. So he's able to use things like cancels and stuff like that that you would get from video games and, you know, apply them to things like the OS of the mechas themselves, thus making them more able to be controlled and easier to function, uh, which I thought was actually goofy, but at the same time, very interesting. So he's using that knowledge to help them here as they advance. Now, the weird thing happens is about halfway through the show, it shifts from focusing so much on alternatives and his past life and that bridge between the two of the worlds and shifts to focus really heavily on the politics and infighting within the nations. So even though you have this beta threat with these aliens that are attacking, suddenly out of nowhere, a lot of focus gets on the pride of Japan, this kind of rebel group that wants to dethrone the government and the military that's controlling Japan and get back to the days of old where there was an emperor and a lot of focus was on the people of Japan. And so you have like all this infighting happening while the beta threat's there which at first I was very frustrated by, but over time I fell in love with it. Not so much because I'm a fan of infighting, but because the writer themselves is so good at creating believable characters and a situation where nobody's really wrong. They're able to really not create a villain, but rather create a whole bunch of heroes that are at each other's throats. I guess it's the best way to put it. Because what I realized really quickly was, while this was all going down, I'm going, ah, oh, here we go, infighting. I realized the rebels are right. Shirogane agrees with the rebels. The Empress herself even agrees with the rebels. The Americans hate the situation because they have to step in and help them. But at the same time, you realize that, yeah, there's probably somebody higher up in America that is wanting to take control of Japan. And all the people of Japan believe is that the Americans just want to come in and save the day so they can take over. The UN's involved as well, but you don't see the UN as being bad. Nobody seems like the bad guy, despite everybody fighting each other. And that's like, the moment I realized that, I'm like, 
this writer is really good at creating politics and characters that are believable. Because while bloodshed is happening and people are mad that lives are being lost, nobody is technically wrong with how they see the situation. And having that realization, I'm like, wow, I love this show. <laughs> like, like I was, I was mixed on the earlier segments. I, I did enjoy doing weekly impressions on it. Had a lot of great people that were commenting on my videos. Uh, a lot of people that were big, huge fans of the visual novels that are just telling me, go read the visual novel, <laughs> which happens with everything like this. But it was really cool to see what they were kind of laying things out for the alternatives in the earlier segment, despite there being not uh, – it wasn't really what I was sold on. I, let's be honest. When I first came into the show, I thought visual novel. I thought non-kinetic that it was going to be choose the girl, you know, get with the girl kind of concept. I, it was, I, I thought it was just going to be mechas and aliens and bloodshed, but with, you know, romancing girls. And it's a kinetic – it's actually a kinetic visual novel, which means it's a one played out story and there's no routes. So it makes sense that it wasn't really getting into, okay, now let's romance Tama or anything like that. It was about the characters in this world and dealing with the beta threat and eventually getting to the politics of that threat that was so much more than what I originally was anticipating it to be. This is about the world, the characters, the politics, all this stuff, and it was so well written despite the fact that a lot of people were scared that things were being missed. Now, granted, I had moments here and there where I'm like, I don't even know what the heck they're talking about here. Am I supposed to know what they're talking about here? And then people are in the comments going, no, they'll eventually get into that. Or, yeah, they kind of skipped this. But for the most part, I didn't really find myself lost. For the most part, I was able to gather what they were presenting. I think the only part that a lot of people were really upset about with the adaptation, uh, based on my comics that I had, was specifically the first introduction Shiragane has to a certain missing character that was kind of present in the beginning of the show. And I kind of downplayed it because I laughed about the fact that the trope of the guy walking into the bathroom was like the most extravagant way of doing that. But I didn't really technically miss the point when that was that he really missed this character. Like the character was really beat up by the fact that they've not been able to see this person for such a long time. And so maybe you can make an argument that that was kind of lost in the adaptation but for the most part i think i pretty much gathered everything that was happening and i again i was kind of mixed early on to be honest for the first half of the show but the moment that the writer started really showing how they can write characters and politics i was fully invested and i cannot cannot wait for the next season to come out because getting later in the season i'm going uh, we're just about to wrap up, and we have not even gotten back to this whole thing we brought up at the very beginning, so I hope there's something more. And so I'm really happy there's another season coming, because I'm thoroughly invested in it. I'm loving it to death. Um, I think Chris had actually... Uh, I don't know that Chris no, I was, I was gonna. It. I was going to ask if I should... If, because it's if very, I was right, not trusting it. You're... No. You're you're wrong. Uh, it, it is not... And it could get worse. It could totally go downhill from here, but it has not been... It is not Swarsenmarkin. This is not Swarsenmarkin so far. <laughs> so far. Um, I just think it, it, you're not going to enjoy it unless you love the politics and the really heavily characters being sucked up in the politics. So I, I don't want to necessarily say it as that there's no characters here because everybody has a character. Maya is the girl that, you know, I don't really want to spoil where she comes from, but she has a lot of dedication to the people. She wants the people to be before everything else. 
Uh, I am Mine is very kind of mysterious, but she has her kind of trappings with her father. A lot of these characters are kind of tied in with their parents, and that's the whole reason they're there, and there's, it, they're there for a reason. Um, Tama and her father's caught up in politics. Class reps, her father is um, part of the diet. Um, each one of these characters has their kind of connection to the politics in some way, and that reflects on how they see this current situation. So if that's something that you're interested in, this is like really, really good. This is a really interesting character study in the connections people have to they, – they put it really good at some point is that mistake that something is – that people have pride for their – uh, they're, they're patriotic because of their connections to the government itself, and it's not necessarily about it. The patrioticness is about their ties to the people of Japan, mm-hmm. and when it gets in that stuff really heavily, that's that's the gold nugget. Like That is the stuff that I just eat up along with the fact that, again, like I mentioned earlier, having so many different perspectives seen as a situation, but them none of them, none of them being wrong, and I think this writer is really good at crafting that. I, I was really blown away by how that kind of played out in later parts. So I hope I did that justice because, like I said, I was very much so surprised by the show. It's it's a slow burn early on, especially. Like I said, I, I it's not that I was bored with the earlier segments of it. It's just there was a, there was a certain point which I was starting to crave characters. I was like, okay, we got a lot of characters here. Let's start doing something with them. And it wasn't really until about halfway through the show that it's suddenly like, okay, so we're now we're comfortable with the characters. Now let's start really messing with them. And that's where it really got me. So, and I think it's slow burn for a reason because it's a long, a long story. So <laughs> it makes sense. I, I, I had uh, it did pop up on my uh, Steam Steam list, and I was like, I don't know, <laughs> I still don't trust them. But yeah, it, you're you're making me feel a little bit better about it. Yeah, I think if you want to get in a visual novel, I think you have to. There's a, another one that's technically a prequel to this. There's there's, there's a lot of kind of callbacks to it because apparently what it is is this is supposedly. There's a, I think what they what, how they mentioned it was that there was a previous visual novel to this where Shiragane is in his previous world. And so that was the whole issue that people had with him re-meeting somebody from that previous world was that you don't have that, contents, that context of him and his relationship with that character for an entire visual novel. And now we're jumping straight into here where he goes back to meet that person. So, you, But I, like I said, I... I understand because it, it gives me the sense that he has not been in his previous world for a long time and now he suddenly gets to finally see them. I don't know that I necessarily need a full con- – no, I can see that being a, a lot more impact there. Don't get me wrong, but I don't know that it's necessary. So but I think that's that's – you know that it's necessary because you experienced it. So I'm not going to say people are wrong. <laughs> but yeah, that's my love alternative. Definitely – Really, really good show. I, I've I thoroughly enjoying it. Cannot wait for the second season at all. It's gonna be great. The Hike story or Hike Monogatari. This one's streamed on Funimation Ran for eleven episodes, done by Science Saru. This was like the first show to end the season because it technically started like sometime in summer. <laughs> uh, based on a novel, which of course is the Hike Monogatari uh, novel, which I think was made quite a while back. Uh, the genres are historical. The director is Nako Yamada. Of course, Nako Yamada is known for doing a lot of works, including K-On! with uh, Kyorani. This is obviously the big, huge kind of surprise that a lot of people had that Nako Yamada, who's pretty much built their career on Kyorani, suddenly left and went to Saransaro. <laughs> uh, also taking Reiko Yoshida with her, because Reiko Yoshida is has done a lot of work with Nako as well. So, And that was kind of like... 
uh, to, 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 before I get into anything, my biggest fear was like, okay, I love Kiyoani. I love Naoko Yamada's work. I love Reiko Yoshida's work. And now suddenly they, they betray me. <laughs> they leave Kiyoani and they leave to Science Sorrow. <laughs> like, Science Sorrow is not my favorite studio at all. <laughs> I have not had really any luck with anything that has come out of Science Sorrow. Um, and I know that a lot of people love Science Sorrow, so don't get me wrong. You're, you're welcome to love everything they make. I'm perfectly fine with that. It's just they've never really worked for me. A lot of it has to do with I just don't really care much for the character designs and art style they usually typically do. But here's the thing. I watched this PV for this show, and I immediately said, this is going to be incredible. And yeah, you could probably say that's partly kind of induced by the fact that I knew that Naoko Yamada was working on it. So I'm like, there's obviously a favoritism there. But I think what it comes down to is I don't like the art style that Science Sato typically does. But this was the one case, when I watched this show, this is the one case where I'm like, no other studio would have pulled this off. Because they took the art style that you would typically see in, if you look, you know, like old Japanese scrolls, like old artwork that they had of different time periods and stuff, and literally just breathed life into that. This show literally looks like those that artwork on those scrolls brought to life. And I don't think anybody would have done it as well as Science Sorrow. And so I give them full credit for that. So, the Hike story. Let's get into it. And I'm probably going to butcher quite a bit of this because it's been a while. But essentially it takes place during the Ginpei War. And Ginpei War it was about 1180 in Japan. And it's essentially this point in which there was like a civil war between these different groups. And a lot of the focus of this show is on the Titer Clan, which is one of these clans that was involved in this whole situation. And we follow Biwa right off the bat. Biwa is traveling with her, I think it was a grandfather, I think it was. Um, and they're traveling around, they're playing their Biwa. She's, her name's Biwa, and she plays a Biwa. <laughs> it's like this little guitar. And they travel around, they play music. And at some point, they end up seeing this group of, uh, this little clan group, this little group of guys that go around and basically, if somebody says something negative about the Hike or the Tyra clan, this group goes around and like exact justice. So she sees them, like, dragging this woman out of her home, and she's screaming, and Biwa makes some sort of comment, and one of these boys hears him, and immediately comes over and confronts Biwa and says, what did you say? And her grandfather or father steps forward and says, you know, it's just a child, I'll, I'll take the punishment, and the punishment ends up being death. So they kill, and Biwa is pretty much left alone at that point. And as Biwa's kind of obviously traumatized by this, um, sorrowful that she lost this person, she eventually finds herself pretty much in the presence of Shikimori Taira. And Shikimori, uh, Shikimori Taira is like the next in line for the Taira clan. And she basically uh, sees a vision. Biwa is able to, has an eye that's able to see the future. And she predicts to see this future of this Taira clan that just is the result of you know the death of her family sees this vision of this Tyra clan being destroyed. And she tells Shigemori, you know, I've seen a vision. Your, your, your clan is, is, is doomed. And instead of, like, you know, uh, attacking her for that or anything like that, her soldiers come up to take her away. She's like, no, don't worry about it. He ends up adopting Biwa into this, their, their family and taking care of her. And so this begins this, like, a little kind of storytelling through the eyes of Biwa, the family of the Tyra. Now, so people know... 
for those that don't know, the Hike story, this novel that was written, is based off a true story. This is based off the real Genpei War. It's based off the real Tyra Clan. And thus, it is the story of the fall of the Tyra Clan. This is their the story of this clan and what they do that eventually leads to their fall. And the interesting thing is that Biwa is not a real character. Biwa was not actually historically accurate. Biwa in this book was the storyteller. Biwa is the person that is present with the Tyra clan to observe what they did and how they went about their days until they eventually had their downfall. And so we're, our perspective is going to be through this girl that's able to see the future, obviously. But the interesting thing that comes of that is that she's able to see things and she lets Shigamori know in this first case, but she never really tells anything after that. She sees these terrible things that are happening, but she feels like she can't change any of it. So she doesn't say anything or act. And so I know a lot of frustration people had with this story was that, well, why didn't Biwa just tell them? It's like, one, I don't think that they would change what they're doing, obviously. But two, it's an act. It's not that she's supposed to change anything because it's the story. It's supposed to tell the story that actually happened. If somebody just told Kiyomori, stop that, he's going to lead to your fall. He's going to like, okay, cool. It changes everything. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Um, but that's, I, I guess, the frustration. Early on, I did enjoy Biwa. I think Aoyuki did a fantastic job of voicing her, did an incredible job of voicing a more younger character, like these little fits of you know sorrow and stuff that she went through. I think she pulled that off so well. Biwa is a great character, and I loved her presence there, especially when it came to her interaction with Tokoko. The problem is that at some point, it tries to give Biwa a story, like it tries to do something outside of the Tyra clan with her that I, I, I thought was okay, but at the same time, it felt like it was I was just I was dissatisfied in the end. I felt like despite the fact that I came for Biwa, especially because of Aoyuki, I didn't really get enough from her. She was just always kind of presence, which again is technically her story to be the storyteller. She doesn't really get involved with really anything. She's just kind of just there. The enjoyment that I got really from this show, especially early on, was Shigemori. Shigemori was a fantastic character. He was essentially he was the balance. He was the peacekeeper. He was a he was this well-known soldier that raised up in the ranks for the great deeds that he did. And a lot of his great deeds were surrounding the idea of his love for the soldier and the people. And so whenever a conflict came, he would be the first to come out there, get off his horse, walk before the leader and say, "Please stop this, you may take my head." Like he would try to stop the conflict in any way possible without any further bloodshed. Even if it meant his own his own head. That's what a fantastic character he was. And his presence was definitely needed because as you find out as the story unfolds, Kiyomori Taira was kind of an idiot. I mean, it, it eventually explains what Kiyomori Taira was after. But for the most part, for the most of the story, a lot of his actions were around the concept of I'm bored, and this seems like fun. So let's start a war because it seems like fun. And he <laughs> gets really annoying in that regard. Again, eventually they explain why he eventually tries to build um, the, 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 the foundations that he does. But for the most part, he's kind of annoying in that regard. And Shigamori is always the one to kind of stop the situation and fix the situation that he kind of creates. Now, unfortunately... Because the the story plays out like it does, 
At some point, Shigemori gets removed from the picture. And a lot of focus goes on Kiyomori. And at that point, the story is kind of, again, this is technically history, but it gets very repetitive at some point because Kiyomori does something terrible. A lot of stuff happens, and then Kiyomori's hand gets slapped. He steps back. Kiyomori does something. A lot of stuff happens. Kiyomori gets his hand slapped. He steps back. And it feels kind of repetitive in that regard. And I think the only thing that kept me going with the story beyond that was Tokoko. And Tokoko is, I, I think, literally the greatest character of this year easily. Um, probably further back. I, I would have to see how far back it would go. But easily this year, Tokoko is the best character of this entire year. Tokoko was fantastic. Tokoko is the sister of Shigemori. And like typically with this time period, uh, she is the product of marriage for power. Because most women in this time period, if you wanted to either gain the power of another family or to essentially stop wars or whatever, women were bargaining chips. You would marry off your the women in order to create a bond with another family. And Tokoko was that example. She was married off to Go Shirakawa's family. And when she's married off, you kind of see this perspective from both sides at that point. Because now she's in this area which is kind of at odds with Kiyomori. And so you see her having to watch her family get ripped apart from the other side of the battlefield. And how it plays out her character, her strengths, her attitude, and how she deals with every situation was absolutely incredible. She was the heart of the show. And despite seeing everything fall around her, she was always present with a very stern, yes, sorrowful at times, very sorrowful at times, but she was always there as kind of the heart. Despite being ignored even by her own husband that she is married to, she's always still there and giving that presence. And I thought that, again, at the very end, through everything, she was an absolutely incredible character. And she's literally what, you know, kind of pulled me through the entire show despite having these moments where I was getting frustrated with characters like Kiyomori. Um, there's a lot of fantastic characters. A lot of the Tyra family, despite Kiyomori's actions were really great. All the all the all of Shigo, uh, Shigamori's sons, uh, his brother, a lot of those characters were fantastic. Um, just a just a it's a great cast of characters. It's a great story, um, despite there being quite a lot of struggle with, again, those kind of more repetitive conflicts that kind of get stuck in that middle area. I honestly had this point where I was watching the show, and obviously, again, getting into the starting of another season always makes me drift away from stuff that started before then. I had a point where I just didn't really feel like coming back to watch the show because it was so focused on Kiyomori, and I didn't really find him interesting at all. And again, I understand him because of what they explained to him later, but at the time, I didn't like it, and I wasn't really interested in the show because of it. So it's the getting into my final uh, kind of point I want to make for the show, it was a struggle to watch for another reason, and that was because Unless you're like a super history, Japanese history buff, it is so hard to follow these names. Because um, often in cases, a lot of different people, especially those that are in higher power, are referenced in several different ways. Like there's Go Shiragawa. Go Shiragawa has like three different names that they'll give him, depending on who's talking about him. Because obviously you have familiar um, formalities that different people will have based on their presence to the person. And so when you have a lot of 
different names that title. I mean, that's even like uh, Hike versus the Tyra clan. There's there's so many names that they give to different people and different groups and different families, and it's very hard to follow. I'm not a history buff, Japanese history buff, and it was a it was a struggle for me. I got it, but I had to like rewatch a lot of lines to really realize who they were talking about, which family they were talking about. Um, I don't know if that's a problem or it is going to be a problem because of the naming. And if you're not familiar with how they do that kind of like the whole uh, 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 name, no Tyra, that kind of stuff, which is technically them saying to the Tyra uh, family, that kind of formalities and way of speaking is very difficult to really follow unless, again, you're a Japanese history buff. So that's a warning I'll give out there is it's a great story. It's a tragic story, obviously, because it's following the fall of an entire clan. But at the same time, it's a really fantastic story. It's a great visual spectacle to look into this this time period and this family. This family that was so caught up in their power and the, and the strength that they built up that they felt like they were invincible. And that ultimately that choice of kind of throwing their weight around was their fall. It's a great story. It has great characters. Like I said, Shigamori and Tokoko, phenomenal characters. But it's very difficult to follow, and you have to kind of take it slow as you watch through it and make sure you're following who they're talking about because you can get lost really quickly watching the show. But like I said, it's worth it because the director did a phenomenal job. Sainz Sato brought these this art style to life in an incredible way. That's not even get started on how they portray Biwa's uh, visions, Biwa having these visions of the future. It always plays out like she's this kind of long, white-haired girl. And she sings out the actual uh, visions that she has through like a, a sort of Inca style. So the Inca style is more like a very drawn out, um, very inflectious built, um, if that's the way to put it, uh, singing. It's a very unique style. And she sings out this in almost like a poetic way. And sometimes it's either like this terrible thing that happens or she's singing out like the portrayal of what they do. Like there's these certain segments of the Ginpei war where you'll have somebody comes out and does something really incredible. And obviously they, they enlarge it for the story. So it's almost like the, the fish was this big kind of concept. And so she's singing out like this really crazy thing that somebody did and, or the, the fall of a certain person. Uh, like there's this one point where this entire army flees because of birds were flocking in the ponds and they thought it was an invasion. And so she's singing out this entire unfortunate uh, series of events. And it's so beautifully done. Like it is so gorgeous. And, and again, huge credit to Aoyuki for pulling that off. I mean, it is a beautiful period piece. It's a beautiful insight into this time period. It's hard to follow, but I just, it, it's, it's up there as easily one of those just like must watches. If you want to kind of get this time period. And I always love my time pieces. Like, if you can give me it, that's like the the that one show that Kyoto Animation was working on before the the unfortunate fire. It's like I so want that still to be done because that's like that turning point for Japan where you had you know imports happening and the lifestyles of Japan was shifting so much. And I would love to see that Shogun Rokuraku Shinjo. It's a great time period piece that I just love getting the insight into. So yeah, definitely recommend the Hike story. Great little time piece. Tawawa on Monday, season two, or Gitsuyobi no Tawawa 2. This one streamed on Crunchyroll, ran for 12 episodes. They are six-minute shorts. Uh, this is done by Yokohama Animation Lab. 
These genres are Slice of Life and Echi. And for those that don't know what Tawa on Monday is, since this is the second season, uh, it's pretty simple. The first season pretty much opened up with this girl named Ai uh, Chan, where she unfortunately nearly falls down some stairs, but she is, her fall is, <laughs> well, her fall is stopped, but the impact of her on this random guy that was nearby was was cushioned by her for her obvious endowment. Um, but anyways, she falls on this guy. He kind of softens her blow, but he hits his head. He ends up kind of taken to the hospital where he's kind of taken care of. And she comes by to kind of apologize to him. And they kind of hit it off. And so what this spins, this kind of weekly encounter that they have. Because every Monday, he's obviously going off to the next work week. And he needs a little bit of recharging, as they call it. And so he will kind of board the train with her as kind of like her protector to protect her from obvious bad people on the train. And in return, she will give him one of his but- or one of her buttons because she's, again, well endowed and she breaks a lot of buttons. So she gives these little buttons to him to, again, recharge him for his work week. So, And it kind of later on kind of introduces other characters. And I, I don't remember exactly who all was introduced with the first season, but moving on uh, to the second season. Oh, hi. Yeah, I want to say that Kohai was introduced in the first season. I know that Megami-chan was in this season, but right. it over time starts introducing other characters. There's a cheerleader girl that gets introduced in this season as well. Um, was that it? Megami and cheerleader, was there somebody Megami else? Megami, is that the one with the sensei? Yeah, her teacher. Yeah, it's, it's again, six-minute shorts. Really, a lot of the theme around this entire series is more adult relationships and, well... <laughs> mostly adults uh it, it a lot of focus around besides kohai you technically have a lot of older men with younger girls uh that are in high school but a lot of more focus on well endowed girls yes that seems to be a huge theme of this writer is liking the um the bigs the big jugs but yeah your thoughts characters on with tons, characters with lots of plot Yes. <laughs> if they were shot, um, they would probably have some two very big plot armors to hopefully deflect. <laughs> I, 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 I thought I had watched this at one point, and I may have, um, but I didn't remember a lot of the first season. I was so happy when Crunchyroll did end up picking the first season up. I did a massive binge through. Um, That's not very massive. You're talking an hour. <laughs> massive. No, it was massive, Andrew. Think about how massive this show is. No. Mm, too um, massive. Too, <laughs> too T-O-O, massive. T-O-O people. Come on. Get your mind out of the gutter. No, uh, when it comes down to it, one of the one of the funny things is, is I definitely felt the... Um, I don't know if it was just a time change or if it was just the there was a studio change. Do you know for sure if it was a studio change? There was definitely a difference between the two seasons, for sure. You will feel almost, if you were to binge through the entire thing, you will feel a difference between the two. Um, And the funny thing is, is it was definitely a huge um, pine jam to the first one. That explains a lot. It was a, it was definitely a um, a shift, and, and it you can feel it, and, and it was almost a. I'm trying really hard not to. I'm not. I'm not intentionally doing these puns, but the there was a a massive shift in how the directing style in a lot of cases, and all the it. it 
how you, they directed the camera. Yeah, the the camera was changed. <laughs> no, um, it, you could feel um, a shift in the um, how well the timing and everything was pulled off in the second season. I I enjoyed my time so much more. Um, in the second season, it was much, much better. I, um, down to the, the, uh, for example, Andrew's, um, love of the, um, going up the escalator and. Daijo Black. Uh, yeah. It's, it, the, the comedic timing is phenomenal in the second season. I watched that scene like a hundred thousand times. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not that the first season wasn't funny. It just, it wasn't as funny as the second season and i had a lot of fun watching the second season it was really well done there's so much heart going through these these stories um and i just enjoyed just seeing a lot of these cutesy love blossom moments that through through the entire show i will say that i i want to agree with you that i think they really did kind of step up um the quality i think it it really comes comes around. I think the timing is for sure because I want to say that when I watched the first season a long time ago, I had to refresh for myself when this this season came out, so I didn't really look at it too much. But I want to say that when I fought, watched the first season, it was kind of a throwaway at you. Like this was just something you would just find clips on YouTube where just yeah, uh, well endowed girl on the train, and I don't really feel like there was really much there again besides this whole aspect of introducing Ai Chan first meeting um, this guy. And it is one of those things where as it kind of went through the second season, there was two things that I want to say that was heavily improved. And one was the animation. Um, there's a lot of, especially like the first uh, couple episodes, because obviously they're trying to get you hooked into the show. There's a lot of little attention to detail with hair and stuff like that. They were really kind of going a little bit, you know, above and beyond to make, to sell the show. And I, and I think it's probably helped by the fact that it's only a six-minute short. You're talking probably four minutes of actual vid- uh, of actual show. Um, so they're able to kind of put that little extra effort into there. And yes, hyper-detail in certain things. <laughs> a lot of motion in certain things. Uh, even the, 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 the well-categorized and, and archived on Twitter and everywhere else in memes, the talking boobs scenes where there's literally just two chess in the middle in the in the in the front of the perspective of the the main guy literally talking to each other <laughs> because they're like standing next to him and they're just going back and forth um this is an etchy show this is a more adult show but at the same time i think i i appreciate the fact that this is besides yes the cheerleader besides yes the earlier segments of talking about megane yes technically i is in that later part as well technically high schoolers but they're more mature i guess Meg- megami-chan is technically um, graduate. She's already a graduate when it starts getting to the more heavier stuff with her. Respecting the idea that despite her really heavily actively pursuing her teacher, her teacher literally said, no, I'm not doing that. This is not happening. And then it wasn't until finally she graduates that it's like, finally, she's like, okay, you're going to accept it now, right? <laughs> and even then, didn't he turn her down? She went to college and then came back and then he finally gave in? I don't remember exactly the time jump after her graduation that she finally came to. I thought I th- I think that it implied that she immediately came there like the following day or that night after she graduated because she couldn't stay away from him. So, but then he finally accepts her. But it was it was not, it was respectful in that regard. And it, I, like I said, I think it's more 
we're going to get into um, Doki Chan, which is more more acceptable in that regard. But it is nice. My point that I'm making is it's nice to finally have something that yes is comedy, yes is etchy, but it's very short slice of life about more mature relationships, and it's kind of nice to have that every now and then. As much as this is all we're going to get is this small short that is kind of you know made on the side that's more focused on you know talking about well endowed women, but it is nice. It was refreshing, and the characters are really cute and fun to be around. Megami is really cute. Loved her kind of fighting to get her teacher's attention, him not accepting it, but eventually her coming to age where he can accept it. And it's this little cute relationship they have that they acknowledge nobody will accept. And they, they even talk about the fact that they decide to have a, you know, do everything on the side without their family because they won't accept it. Kohai and her kind of very... The Kohai Chan's whole thing, her whole shtick is that she says things that can be interpreted incorrectly by men, and her, and her, uh, you know, her coworker just kind of saying, "Please don't say that around anybody else because they're going to take that completely wrong," and she doesn't get it. Uh, so she has her own kind of semi ditzy nature that's really cute there. Um, I obviously, I, I don't think they really do much with I other than the fact that she's just kind of always. Pink being kind of pushed by the relationships around her, despite her not really showing that active uh, nature to herself. I, I think the the cheerleader was kind of cute in the idea of the childhood friend that ends up becoming something of a spectacle <laughs> to everybody except for he the childhood the, friend. Because he took the idol. <laughs> yeah, he didn't he didn't accept it fast enough, and now she's now she's become the 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 eyes of everybody else around her. A lot of fun though. It's it's fun in that regard. There's a lot of really funny skits in here as well. Like I said, the the talking chess is probably the one that everybody else notes. But there's there's other things here that are really really a lot of fun. Um, like the there's there was all... the the competition between the sisters and and <laughs> yeah. It's funny that they they do have um and 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 I I give props to um Crunchyroll for for at least taking the time to um make reference to a lot of the um. The background uh, writing is always in reference to, in some some way, a lot of the background art is um, jokes involved in in what they're doing here. So, yeah, a lot of fun. More more adults. Um, it's it's etchy, but I don't think it's really too bad um, unless you're just off put by again uh, the 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 male gaze. It's it's literally a lot of its male gaze. Yeah. Um, the the a lot of the perspective is technically from unnamed characters uh the male characters are typically not named they're just like the one that Aichan's with is referenced as onisan um so they're just kind of no-name characters with no eyes that just kind of become the perspective and yes a lot of that is gaze so if that doesn't bug you i think it's a lot of fun and i get like i said before it's more of adult stuff so and like i agree with chris i think it's a, it was a, a great step up from the first season i really did thoroughly enjoy this season way more so tawa on mondays too Check that out if you if you enjoy that stuff. And honestly, I'm not usually a fan of the more larger <laughs> endowment. Uh, this is kind of borderline with a lot of the characters, so it was it was good for me. If anybody knows my taste of that kind of stuff, you can get a sense from it. Gambare Doki-chan. This one is streaming on Crunchyroll for 12 episodes. Also a six-minute short. Uh, done by studio Atelier uh, Ponce Dark. I guess that's how you say Pont Dark. This one, the source is a web manga. Zama's are comedy, romance, etchy. The creator of this one is Yom, of course, is known for doing Mirotites. 
So you know the pedigree there. <laughs> but yeah, this one essentially follows Doki-chan, who is an office worker who works alongside uh, her, I think it was her... Um, senpai. Senpai, which is Doki-kun. So yes, they both technically have the same name, Doki. Uh, it's just he's referred to as Doki-kun and she's referred as as Doki-chan. And the thing about this whole story, this whole shtick, is that working alongside each other, Doki-chan has... Uh, gains essentially a fondness for Doki-kun, and she's trying to give him hints that she wants him, <laughs> and he never seems to kind of get it. So, And over time, as it goes along, she's kind of giving these hints. Eventually, other girls get involved that she's obviously jealous of any attention that Doki-kun gets from them, and eventually leading to her having to push herself to just kind of bear all and, and tell him that she wants him. <laughs> so... That's the that's the whole the whole idea of Gambari Dokichan, um, which it, it's the title is literally it. It's get him, get him, Dokichan. <laughs> Your thoughts? Freaking adorable show. Um, I I absolutely love the um, her how Dokichan tends to kind of get in these weird situations where she's trying to get them get get her point across. Like Andrew is uh, pointing out that he, she's giving these hints. She's got practically waving red flags going around her that says yes um oh there was some mistake and we both have to be in the same (laughs) there's a mistake and we both have to be in the same hotel room oh well i just suddenly came in here with nothing on it's it, it it's absolutely adorable the situation she gets her herself into and yet and donkey kun is an absolute just steadfast gentleman and he is just um one of those characters that you like for once, I want you to actually be kind of not good for a minute. Just just a minute to give her what she really wants. Yes, yeah, <laughs> problem. He's he is an absolute gentleman. He he he's not he's not trying to hurt her in any way. I mean, although she's screaming from the rooftops, please. Um, he's he just it does what he's he he should do in a lot of these cases and. Um, it, it's, it's funny because he sits there, the the thirsty girl in the chivalrous night. (laughs) Yeah. He's, he's sitting there on the, on the cusp of where you, you get the idea that he does, he is either catching the hints or he's just, I do know he flat out likes her. I mean, that, that's just there. And it's, it's, it's funny how when, when the other girls are in introduced, I mean, I can get, uh, where her insecurities are. Um, but even those those characters added while they added a good flavor to it, it it doesn't take away from the yeah. It made main, you angry main, and said, "Get away from him." Yeah, it's it, it doesn't <laughs> it does it doesn't it doesn't really injure the show that much. It just adds to it, and it does really well at, at that. And it's very respectful in a lot of cases. So I love it. Um, I I think they did very well. Um, and yeah, highly suggested. This again is like that that similar cases Tawa where it's like it's nice it's refreshing to have a show that's about adults and adult feelings and relationships and that those frustrations that you may feel again sad that it's only a six minute short but at the same time I don't think they're really trying to do some crazy storytelling here it's just kind of very simple you know relationship building and those insecurities and the the thirst <laughs> kind of got mixed in there the the desires to make somebody realize that you're after them kind of thing. So 
it was very refreshing to have this. I think the studio did a fantastic job, especially early on. I was kind of really captivated by how much, again, attention to detail they were giving the characters. Doki having these very kind of very lively hair, the animation they were putting into it, even though it's a very simple show. They were putting that extra effort into really kind of making it look like a really good-looking show. At the same time, it was it was odd because early on it seemed to have this weird – the writers seemed to have this weird shtick where they would have – like a scenario play out. And then what would happen is at the very end of the episode, it would either play out some dream that she's having where something happened when it didn't, or it would just have this scenario where it's playing out what she wanted to happen really is what it is. And it was always kind of that, that thing to have with each episode. So they have this whole situation where, you know, she technically set them up to be in the same hotel room. It wasn't a mistake. And then she tries to, you know, throw hints at him by wearing a lot, you know, very scantily looking and then it has this dream that night where it he did, you know, went for it. And so it it had that kind of playoff constantly. And again, like I said, more kind of adult and more mature storytelling with, yes, the aspect of, you know, etchy and, and even further than that. So it was it was a, it was a very refreshing show. I, had, I really enjoyed it. Doki Chan was absolutely adorable. Loved her to death. And it just had so many great moments. And I agree, Doki Kun is really cool at the same time get a hint dude <laughs> at, at least give her some of that uh quench some of that thirst that she's got going for her. she's gonna go crazy uh we're, we're going we're going to the tart territories with like uh world's finest assassin here you, you she's gonna explode at some point she might end up killing those other two girls <laughs> just we, we have the sequel of doki chan the the yandere or something like that and suddenly you know the other two girls doki go missing Chan's revenge the other the other two girls go missing for some reason and we don't know what happened to them but it's a lot of fun. Really, really enjoy it. And yeah, technically with the whole aspect of the, the creator, Yom. Why didn't you notice? Why didn't you notice? Why didn't you notice uh, me, Senpai? senpai. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. Gombari Dokujan. Check that out. And our last short that we have is Let's Make a Mug 2 or Yaku Nara Mug Cup Mo. This one streamed on Country Roman for 12 episodes. A 14-minute short. Is it still 14 minutes? Yeah. Or they go full? No? 14. Uh, studio is Nippon Animation, Sources of Manga, and Samas are Slice of Life. Maybe 10 minutes. And this was the first season we had. Himeno essentially moved to this one village with her father. Her father, essentially the company he was working for, kind of fell through. And so he took all the life savings that he had at the time and decided to open up a little cafe in his hometown where he you know, originally met his wife, as his late wife, uh, Himeno, uh, Himeno's mother, and this is where they met, and apparently at this place where Himeno ends up going to school at, uh, there was a club there for doing ceramics, and she ends up finding out that her mother was a very well-known ceramics maker, and she went to that same club. So it kind of plays out in the first season anyways of Himeno basically following in the footsteps of her mother, who was into ceramics and did a lot of really cool things with ceramics and that people knew about, and then she getting into ceramics. And a lot of the focus, I think, in the later part of the first season was around her kind of trying to... I guess, uh, recreate that aspect of creating this thing that her father would acknowledge that she would create and, uh, and then him sitting on it. So the second season, you I never get... got, I never got a chance to get oh, to it. Um, I, I, I want to say that I had a little bit of a rough time in the first couple of episodes. Um, I think that reflected in the, in the first impressions, but I don't, I don't really remember. I, I do do know that after all is said and done, uh, this season, almost, if not more heart than the first season. 
And that is saying a lot um, because I really, really loved how much I walked away um, in that first season. The second season goes into, um, I want to say it got into Mika at one point and it uh, definitely dug into uh, Toko this season. And it, one of the things, if you, if you've watched the first season and didn't actually watch this season, one of the things that, was definitely apparent in the first season was Toko's kind of coldness. Um, while Mika was able to kind of drag Toko out here and there, um, it she never she still maintained this very um, cold demeanor through most of this. And when we got into actually digging into what was her kind of frustration and quote unquote fixing her, um, it was absolutely a fantastic payoff and i really really loved how how well they did with that um so yeah very happy with this season um i absolutely loved kind of the ultimate payoff um in himeno's um basically she she's going to create something to add to her father's restaurant this uh in this season and hopefully not sure hopefully not sure <laughs> Um, but when she finally does get through to finishing that project, um, what she ultimately did and what the reason she did that was an absolute fantastic payoff. I really loved it. Um, and even added in a character that I had a very big frustration with this season. <laughs> um, so while I, I, I did, I, I really do like what that character added. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I did have some frustrations and that was more of a translation problem, but it is what it is. So take that for what it is. I really did like this season. So, uh, suggested. Yes. Yeah. There you go. Let's make a mug two, two, tug two, two, especially if you liked the first season, you'll love the second season. Yeah. Yukiyuna is a hero of the great Monkai chapter, or Yukiyuna wa Yusha de Aru Dai Monkai no Shou. This one streamed on. Uh, this one streamed on High Dive. I don't know why I have HL here, like Hulu. That's just completely broke my brain. It was on High Dive, ran for 12 episodes, done by Studio Gokumi. The source is original. The genres are action, drama, fantasy, maho, shoujo, psychological. I don't know that I would call it original anymore. I think it's more a manga because a lot of these are based on – a lot of this one is based on spinoff mangas that were made for it. I think light novels too. But anyways, this one, for those that are unfamiliar with the series as a whole, um, I'm going to tr- – I'm not going to be too heavy into spoilers, but I will have to mention different story arcs that could be small spoilers for people that have never watched the series. As always, I recommend people going into Yukina as a Hero completely blind – as we did, which was like one of the reasons that just it was that lightning in the bottle moment for us. But yeah, essentially, for those that are not familiar with the series, essentially follows a club of girls. They're in a club that they call the Hero Club. And the Hero Club is essentially where they go out and they do things for different community groups. So if there's a, a classroom of kids, they'll go in there and do a puppet show to entertain the kids and stuff like that. So they just do different things to help the community as a whole. And that's the Hero Club. Well, the other thing that you kind of find out is that over time that this village that they're in, this where the school is, this entire region is like surrounded by this big wall that protects them. And you find out this entire area is protected by this thing called the divine tree. This divine tree essentially just keeps this barrier up and protects it from the outside, which is, you later find out, the vertex. 
At some point, as they're doing their club activities, suddenly out of nowhere, time stands still, and all these girls are kind of brought over to this location to protect the Divine Tree from these invading vertexes. They've gotten past the barrier, they're coming in, and these girls have to transform and protect the area and the Divine Tree from these vertexes. And you'll find out over time that things that happen in this world, if there's damages that happen, if the vertexes get past them, it will cause actual chaos in the real world as time resumes. So you'll have like random fires break out, damaged vehicles, stuff like that that'll happen in the real world as a result of them not protecting it well enough. And that you kind of find out that like the only person that knew that this was going to happen was Fu. Was it was the senpai of this club. She knew that eventually they would get recruited and brought into this whole situation. She just didn't want to unfold the way that it did. Um, but Vu ends up being the character that basically explained to them what's happening and what their future is going to be like. And you'll find out the, the weird things that kind of come of this later on is you have certain aspects of uh, things that have to be sacrificed in order to gain power in this other world, in order to protect things. So you have really dire situations can have them ultimately sacrifice things of themselves in order to gain the power to protect everybody. And that becomes a huge, crucial part, especially in the first season. And... Um, Going into the second season, it's more gets into a backstory story and eventually getting into the final battle. Now, in the third season, this is where things get really difficult, and we're already starting to get into my issues with this season. With this season, it was very difficult to figure out what the heck they were doing with this story because essentially there is like a, a prequel story to the hero chapter, which was the second part of the second season. There was the Sentinel story, which is a prequel story to the second part of the second season. And then they replayed, uh, or they, they did a, the backstory, the Heroes Annal story, which is essentially the origin story. This is the story of Year Zero, which I thought was fantastic. And then they get into replaying the Hero chapter again, which is the final story. And then the 12th episode was like this post story. So it was, I, it was almost like this entire season was like a jumbling of different spin-off mangas and stories that they just decided to adapt them all in weird orders. Because what I found is that like every couple episodes I'm going, okay, now where are we at now? Like what time frame are we at now? I, I thought originally when the first season start or when the first episode started, I thought this was a new story after the second season. But it wasn't. It went back before the second season. So that's my biggest issue with this entire season is I thought this was a absolute screw-up of an adaptation. As much as I love the stuff that I got in here, because I love Yuki as a Hero. I'm a huge fan of the Yuki as a Hero series. And I... So my frustrations that I have for this season is surrounding the idea that I want the absolute best for this adaptation. I want the best this series can get because I love it so much. And so when I see this adaptation doing such a terrible job of both placing the story where it's at and cutting a lot of content from what I'm understanding, that frustrates me. So that gets into my... I, I'll just break down each arc one by one. Throw away the first episode, I don't care. Uh, the second episode of the fourth episode, that's the Sentinel arc. I thought, despite that being an extremely... It felt very dissatisfying, but I think it was for purpose. Um, it really did play out a story that felt like a failure... And again, like I said, I don't know that that's, that that's necessarily not for a reason, but I did like like this viewpoint of a different group besides the heroes. 
And what that could have set up, I think, would be really interesting, but I don't think they necessarily ever acted on it. It was a cool insight. It was great for Karen's character. I think that the, if I can give it one thing, that Sentinel arc was great for its eventual impact on Karen. So I'll give it that. But I think it as a story, I think, was a failure for purpose. The second arc, episode five through eight, absolutely loved it. It created so much potential. Unfortunately, again, I from what I'm gathering and how it felt when I watched it, and so it was confirmed by people that responded to my videos. They, I think this is this is what this season should have been. The heroes' annals literally should have been this entire season, because I think they probably had the content to do it. They just cut it. They cut it into what four episodes, and. What The reason why I think that it was a bad adaptation is because they open it up with showing all the characters essentially face misfortune. This is the best way I can put it. If you know the series, you know what I'm talking about. They all face misfortune. And then following that, they start showing the characters and they start talking and introducing them. So I already know what's going to happen. They showed me the final chapter and then they tell me about the characters. And it's like, well, now I'm not going to get inter- – I'm not going to care to get – connected with these characters because I know what's going to happen to them. And then you have this whole situation unfold that causes a conflict between them. And then you see the outcome of that conflict. And then they show you that they actually had a bond. Like, oh, by the way, so you guys know, they were friends. Well, thanks for telling me that now, after everything unfolded, I didn't know they even cared about each other. It was just... It felt really badly adapted. But... The story there was fantastic. I loved getting the first heroes, getting the original story of how everything started, how the Vertexes came to be, how we went from basically our Earth that we know about it to what this world is as it stands now. The Basically, the introduction of the Taisha, how they basically fenced off this area, how the heroes themselves were created, how the public viewed the heroes, the essentially the sacrifices the heroes give despite the tarnishing of their name that the social media and the public gives them, you essentially have, you know, people on social media and on the news saying these heroes are useless. They failed us. Look at the damage of this building. They're obviously wasting their, we're wasting our time with them. And then yet on the other side of the whole fence, you have a girl who's sorrowful for the loss of one of her friends because they were fighting to save humankind. And that effect that it has on a, a person themselves, it started getting into Essentially, the failures of the hero system and how it affects their mind and how it could eventually make them turn upon themselves. All that stuff was fantastic. And again, being a huge fan of Yuki Yuna as a hero, I ate it up. But I felt like in the end, it was a bad adaptation because it felt so disjointed. You didn't know how these characters knew each other. You didn't get an idea of how their relationship was with each other until after things unfolded. And I thought that that was a huge missed opportunity. Again, if they could have done a whole season of the Hero Annals, I think it would have been great. The next part was the Hero chapter being replayed, which I absolutely hated. I was so mad that they decided for a third time to show the Hero chapter. We had, this was a movie. The Hero chapter was done in a, as a movie for Yukina. They adapted into six episodes for the second season. And now we get three episodes, or, yeah, three episodes of it again in this season. I'm tired of seeing the Hero chapter. We know what happened. And then the 12th episode, again, was a phenomenal episode because that was the after story we never got. I think if you don't watch this season, watch that after story. Watch the episode uh, 12 because that was literally 
the after story we didn't get from the second season. Because it's, this that episode tells pretty much, once the dust settles, what the future is. What they do from then on. And I thought it was a phenomenal episode. Because in the original Heroes chapter, all we got was like, shoot, not even a minute of what happened after the battle. And this was an entire episode. Like an entire episode showing even on to when they become adults. I thought it was great. I loved it. I ate it to death. Um, so, with all that said, it still looks great. I still love the work they did to it. I still love the characters. There was great moments for Karen. Uh, there was so much development for characters like uh, Nogi, which I think she's always kind of been the goofy character, but it really kind of solidified as a character. Uh, like I said, the whole, the original uh, first heroes, I loved all those characters. They were fantastic. Um, more development for Yuki Yuna herself. It's just, there's so many good characters, so many good stories here. It's just a very a very obviously bad adaptation that really does frustrate me in the end. I think even still, if you're new to the series, I don't think a lot of my frustrations with this will be affecting you. Because I think if anybody's coming new into Yukin as a hero, what you can do is you can probably find somebody online that will explain to you how to watch this in order. Because I think if you were to watch, I think, uh, the first season easily, just watch it. Uh, the second, the, the first part of the second season, watch it. It's fantastic. And then stop there. Once you're done with the first half of the, uh, the first half of the second season, I think that's when you would want to watch quite a bit of this season, uh, all except for the twelfth episode, or all the way up to the eighth episode. So, first season, first half of second season, all the way up until episode eight of this season, uh, season three, Monkai Mon chapter. Then go back and watch the hero chapter, which is the second half of the second season, and then watch the twelfth episode of this season. <laughs> Again. It sucks. It's hard to explain because that's how jumbled they made this adaptation, and it sucks. I was making a joke about how, like, this sucks because when you have something that's badly adapted, it it sucks more so because you know they'll never adapt it properly. Because they've already done it. They've already screwed it up. Why go back and try it again? Well, technically, Fruits Basket's a very... Fruits Basket's a very rare example. It's not the norm. But then I thought about it. I'm like... Oh, but wait, we've technically had the hero chapter three times now, so there's nothing saying they can't do heroes annals again. <laughs> Hopefully don't make it shorter and then screwed up more, but it's frustrating. And again, a lot of my frustrations around passion. I love this series. I still love this season, um, despite my frustrations with a lot of things in it. Um, I love Yukina. I will always, I will always love you, Yukina. But yeah, that's my thoughts on Yukina as a hero. Great manga chapter. How much did you watch of it? Did you watch any of it? Nope. Yeah, Chris doesn't trust it no more. <laughs> Chris doesn't trust it no more. <laughs> I thought Chikage was really interesting. I love the idea of the anti-hero or the the corrupted hero. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not completely. I I do want to watch it at some point. I just I wasn't feeling it this this season at all. Like I said, if at least episode twelve. Like if you just get some spare time, just watch episode twelve just to. Because it was so good, just to get that after story. I know, and, and I was getting a lot of hype from Andrew at one point, and then all of a sudden it kind of went really, really downhill very That was fast, during the Hero so. Annal. <laughs> Andrew, Andrew was really hyped during Hero Annal. Andrew was like, when are you going to watch it? We got to talk about it. You know, like, I, I'm getting to I'm going to get to it. I'm going to get to it. And it that was Hero And then Annal. suddenly, all, the, all of a sudden, it went downhill very fast. And, it was and, then, like, Andrew started watching, and then Andrew started watching <laughs> the Hero chapter again, and then it started going downhill. Uh, that's the problem with, like, story arcs and just different, like, adaptations within a season. It's like you have those moments like high peaks and low, high peaks low. 
I guess we should just let, we don't have to do um, the last one here. It's Mr. Katensai. We don't really we don't have to do that one. So probably not. Uh, I, think we're, I guess we're done for this point on. But no, yes, it's time, everybody. It is time, Mushuko Tensai. Jawa's Reincarnation Part 2. We're going to talk about if it. if you don't want to listen. <laughs> <laughs> a Japanese title, uh, Moshoko Tensai, uh, Isekai Itara Honki Desu Part 2. Yes, ran for 12 episodes this season. Done by Studio Bind still. Of course, Studio Bind was the joint venture between White Fox and Egg Firm that was created just for the sole sake of creating Moshoko Tensai. Uh, I said Sai again. I'm sorry. I'm going to do it a lot. Yeah, Sources of the Light novel that I'm trying desperately to find right now. I'm probably just going to have to do digital. Sucks, but I'm going to have to do digital. But yeah. This for that. Those that are either avoiding this because somebody said Isekai and you cringed and ran away. Uh, or somebody, uh, for those that heard that the main character is pervy and hard to care about. <laughs> this follows a guy who is a neat. He's living in our modern times, Japan. At some point, he gets kicked out of his home. Apparently, he's been basically being paid to be, or he's being paid for to be allowed to stay in this kind of hold up in a room because of some terrible stuff that happened to him when he was in high school. And apparently, that his family members that died no longer paying for him, he gets kicked out of his home. And as he's walking around the streets, he eventually sees a bunch of students on the side of the road that are about to get hit by a truck. And so he rushes out to save them and gets hit by the truck and is dying before he awakens in a world of fantasy. This other world. Looks like a kind of European style world where there's magic and swords and mastery and all that kind of stuff, and he starts his new life in this other world. And the kind of interesting thing that comes of it is that this is his new chance at life, and so he's kind of still has his trappings of his previous world where he was a neat and he has struggles with trusting people and going out into the world. But all the while he's kind of trying to realize that this is his opportunity to make a new. He learns magic, gets really good at it, ends up meeting a girl named Sylphie, who kind of lives in the same village, kind of protects her from some bullies, eventually decides that he wants to join an academy with Sylphie, and his father ships him off to one of the other f- branches of his family, which is the Grey Rat family, to train this girl named Eris in magic, and that leads to this man disaster that kind of separates everybody. And that becomes a majority of the focus in part two is now everybody kind of being scattered throughout the world, Kind of everybody trying to come together. Mostly a perspective of Rudy who just doesn't really know that it happened, really. He knows that it happened, but he doesn't know it, realize that it happened to everybody. So it's just really more him focused on, I need to get Eris, who technically is my responsibility, back home. And so he ends up kind of meeting this guy named Azured in the first part, technically. But this superb that everybody fears, this race of uh, people that everybody fears. And they travel all the way back to the main continent and... Yeah, like I said, everybody else that's kind of scattered along the way that they end up running into. So, what's your thoughts on part two? Did it did it live up to your expectations of expectations of part <laughs> one, or did it just kind of fall apart in the second part? One of the one of the frustrating things about this show. I, I, Ooh, here we go. I'm, 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 I'm going to hit it right away. Are negative? Um, I have. <laughs> For lack of a better term, and, and I know this is not this is not the way it should be explained, but it it's it's one of the things that I think will probably um, express how much um, how my feelings are towards this show. I uh, between me and Andrew, Andrew kind of went full bore. Uh, at least he gave me the impression of Four. that this this took Point his one. top spot really early. 
I kind of held out for a while, mostly because I really, really love um, uh, uh, Mine and uh, uh, Bookworm. Mine? <laughs> Mine? Mine. <laughs> Mine. I really like Mine of I that like Bookie Wormy. <laughs> the book I, that worm. one show that I liked at some point. I was trying to remember the title. Dang it. <laughs> I um, like I like Nyang Nyang Vilas Evangelisms. That's a really good show. I love it to death. I have posters and everything. Um, Sorry. I but I held out for a while, mostly because I, and, and this is actually something that um, we actually talked uh, on on one of my live streams. I ended up talking about this at some point with as far as far away Paladin is concerned. And there, there's this frustrating level of how much you really love a show and where they get to a point where they kind of um, end up being on par with each other. And you, while, while I really, really love Faraway Paladin, to me it's not at the same level as Jabba's Reincarnation at this moment. And why is that? Well, I don't think it's fair for me to judge jo- uh, uh, Faraway Paladin um, with how much development has been done on Jobless Reincarnation. At the same point, I almost felt kind of wrong about putting Jobless Reincarnation in the same category as um, Bookworm. Why? Because it hadn't gotten to that same level yet. And here, this is the frustrating thing is, now I can't I can't deny it anymore. I really really love Jobless Reincarnation at this moment. As it stands right now, it has taken my top spot as far as an isekai. Um, it has literally um, moment to moment. At, uh, I I walk away from episode and and go dag gum that one lingers for a long time. And I've talked about shows where there's episodes that have lingered from. Uh, for hours after I've watched them where I'm sitting there thinking about different things that have happened in that episode. And how did I digest that moment? I said in my video, I'm like this show just, it's always in my head. Like it's rent free right there in my head. I cannot get it out. And that's a sign of a show that you just can't stop thinking about. And, and, and and there was several episodes that did that way. Um, where we've talked about the bar scene, um, between Rudy and, and his father, we talked about, um, uh, the uh, turnabout two or whatever it was that they they called it. Um, uh, the 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 Eris and Rudy moment that happened in the latter episodes, and how the how episodes like that just l- like linger and you're and you're and you're going through your head of did I how did I feel about that moment? How did and and, and when I say when how did i feel about it i'm i'm thinking about um how i felt about rudy and and his moment there and how did i feel about eris and her moment there and how did i feel about um uh rudy's dad and and the moment that he had a lot of these um i talk about character um moments and i and i when i talk about them like this i think that this is an excellent example of something like that where i I have this impactful moment of how I've um I get to the point where I can I can associate and and relate to these characters' feelings and and Rudy and and his father was one of those moments where I I absolutely re- related to 
uh, Rudy and how he felt when he was sitting there and frustrated that dad, why are you not seeing what I did? And why, why are you automatically assuming that I didn't, I, I didn't know about this. I didn't understand what you were expecting. It was the expectations versus projections. Yeah. That I always and hit. It, and and it, I, I think that was phenomenally done with that. It was. And I, I absolutely loved the resolve in the next episode where they actually, they didn't let it go. They didn't go, okay, yeah, you've seen it from his side. Now let's see it from dad's side. And it, it kind of brought everything around in a, in a big circle. And, it, and then we, we, we had this moment where we were talking about, well, Rudy and, and his hug with the dad and what the impl- implications of what happened during that moment. And I just loved how much was just buried into every moment in this show and so, yeah, I, I, as much as I don't want to let, uh, uh, and, and just because it, it's not, she's not on the top of my list doesn't mean that she's not number it's two in the okay, list. It's just, Chris. It's, it's, okay. it's one of those, it's one of those frustrating things. People automatically assume if it's not the best ever. It's automatically the worst. Warlords of Sigrifa is number one isekai of all time. <laughs> no, it's the problem is they're all doing something different. Yeah, obviously. they are. And, and um, the, with, with Faraway Paladin, I think it's more like the journey of this, you know, um, you know, a disciple of this goddess that he's kind of decided to serve. And this one's more about, again, the trappings of his previous life and accepting a new life and having that opportunity he never had. And then, yeah, with a sentence of bookworm, it's more focused around the idea of her desires to create something. There's a little bit of fabrication of, of new techniques in this new world. Then at the same time, a lot about her relying on other people because of her disabilities that she's facing. So they all have different things they're really focused on. So it's really hard to really put them in a list it's just you put them in a list because people like that yeah people love like that kanasuba. <laughs> kanasuba is fantastic it's a phenomenal show but we don't bring it up but we don't bring it up but when we're com- talking about this so automatically that means that we hate right. it it's the worst what show about, ever what about that? What about that? What about that? What about that? we don't we don't bring up grimgar and that's easily one of our most beloved shows but it's not our on our favorite list at the same time it's each one of these shows has their own thing that they're bringing to the table and that's one of the things that we do love is is pointing out, hey, that that's got a shining gem over there. There's a reason why it's got a shining gem over there. Yeah, I would put, I put Grimgar in the same facet of Michigan Tensai just because they both seem like they're doing the same thing. Where it's 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 a weird thing to say, and I said it with Grimgar, and I'll say it with this: it's it's a slice of life fantasy. Like it's not about like fantastical. Yes, Rudy does some really cool stuff, but it's it's really more about the idea that. This is the here and now. This is how he survives. And this is, it's not a, it's not all things are peachy. The difference between this one and Grimgar is the fact that Grimgar establishes early on the wiping out of the memories. They both are, they're both isekais, but with Grimgar, they, they, they feel it and they have recollection of the previous world, but they don't have those memories. Whereas Mushuka Tensai, he is driven and kind of shackled by those memories. So they definitely play them differently. But Grimgar, they have a similar feel that way. Grimgar to me feels a little bit more weighty on decisions to mm-hmm. me. Uh, well, there is a weight to Mushiko Tensai. It, the, the yeah, weight. don't say that you, don't tell anybody you know Mangod. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with you? I like how he brought that up at some point. Like, I don't really think I should tell anybody about this. And then he does it. He'll never do it again. You learned that lesson. That'll learn you. Well, no, he, he immediately tells Rudyard. Anyways, 
<laughs> no, I, I, I almost don't even want to bother talking. I mean, you guys, you guys can watch my video. I, I recorded like an hour and a half worth of attempts at reviewing this in a video to post up online. Uh, and it, the struggle that always comes with shows like this is I never feel like I do it justice. No matter what I say about a show, I'll, I'll end up thinking later, I should have mentioned this. How do I should have mentioned this differently? Because it is, like I mentioned before, it is one of those shows that I think is absolutely beautiful and perfectly done. And I think the interesting thing that comes really of it, and it was something that we kind of got into with the first part, was that this show is an impossibility. Like, the, everything about Mashuka Tensai is an impossibility. And it's it's really telling when you look into, like, the old uh, interviews they did with the director of the series and the producers – and how they felt like this is a something that of like a passion project. Like this, there's there's this somebody that had power said, "I love this so much, we're doing this," and they created a stinking studio just to do this. And the director is going, "You guys are nuts. This is very difficult to adapt, but we're doing this." And the director's like, "But people aren't going to like Rudy." The director himself said, "People aren't going to like Rudy." And here we go. It's being adapted. And guess what people say? They don't like Rudy because people don't understand Rudy. Rudy is not supposed to be you. Rudy is not a self-insert. Uh, self He's not like your typical isekai where they have zero character to them and their self-insert into isekai have a power fantasy. Rudy is Rudy. He has his own character. He's not like – I. It's it's – how do you relate to a character who literally spent – Ever since he was in school, his entire life held up in a room watching anime and porn. He's not going to be everybody. He's never had a job. He's a, he's a man-child. He's never grown up. It's going to be hard to find anybody that will relate 100% to Rudy. You're not supposed to relate to him. He's a complicated character that has issues, and he's never grown up. And what I like about it, it, it this is like gets in that whole conversation about you know, obviously one of the issues people have with Rudy is that he's obviously gazing at this girl, Eris, that is technically young. And it's like, you can't argue it. Like, it's an it's an unwinnable argument that I'm not going to sit here and justify what Rudy does. But you do, it is interesting to think about the fact that Rudy never grew up. And this is him finally growing up. He's finally had this chance to really finally grow up. And so it kind of changes that that perspective quite a bit and technically like i told somebody technically you think about it this the concept of this technically employs the concept of buddhist buddhism the idea of rebirth and if you make that argument Eris could be a 50 an 80 year old woman technically in her previous life so what are we, <laughs> we going to argue here but anyways um this is an impossibility this entire project is an impossibility and it's so interesting to see how much of the director put the same concerns into it that we had uh, the biggest concern, the other biggest concern he had was that there's so much content here. He he thought it was an impossibility to adapt because it's going to be so difficult to put all this stuff into a cohesive anime. Because obviously, manga and light novel and everything, they're all written for their certain source material. Light novels are written in the way that you would be reading it, not seeing it. Anime is done in a way that you would be seeing it, not hearing it, or you would technically hear it too, but not reading it. So... To see the result of all that, yes, that passion for making a studio, the passion for making a full adaptation, the, 
the fears the director himself has. And despite that, we have such an incredible show as a result. And it's still incredible. After 23 episodes, like the first yeah. season was 11 episodes, this is three, 12 episodes. After 23 episodes, this still is an incredible show. And you feel, and you feel that passion. You feel the quality given to it. And I, the thing that I've always mentioned with the first part is seeing blades of grass just blowing with the wind, seeing the characters running through the fields, and all this incredible flowing animation, the hair, everything is so well animated, it feels real. And that immersion happens because it looks so good. And I I cannot state enough just based on – and it's the attention to detail too. Like just the the backgrounds, the, what – Having a studio take basically written words, which is typically with light novels that are very heavy based on dialogue, inner dialogue, and to take what was written and make a believable visual world with just everything around them, every village they're in, there's just so much stuff happening in the background. And that so much detail they put in these shots, even every OP, instead of doing a, a, the same stupid op over and over again which would probably be really great like they if they made an op it would probably look really good but to not do an op every episode play the music but just show us the scene they're in to help you get reacquainted either reacquainted or to get acquainted with a new area like going into the dolda the dolda uh village just getting this little spectacle of what is in that village before it jumps to rudy and doing his little cribs uh interview about his his prison cell that's great because, again, it's that detail they're putting in this world and breathing life into it that I think is just – there's nothing nothing that I can think of off the top of my head that's even close to that amount of passion and detail that this series has gotten. And I, like I said before, it sucks to – again, another thing the director acknowledged, it sucks to have this drop in the midst of such isekai uh, fatigue. Because let's admit it. I mean, it's like with all these different uh, content creators and they make their previews and guess what the biggest thing they make their entire video based on? Oh my gosh, another Isekai. Oh, there's another one. <laughs> there's a fatigue. We all know it. And the director knows it. And he's like, this is scary. Despite the fact that this is like, what was it, 2010? This was 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 when they started writing this. Despite the fact that, no, this isn't the first Isekai, but this is an Isekai that has inspired so many other Isekais. Which sucks because you think there'd be more that would do such great job with their characters, but they don't. Even he acknowledges the fact that there's a, 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 a fatigue, and to have people discount this show because of that is really sad because you're missing out on a really incredible show. Again, I think the Isekai and the Rudy thing I think is the two big things that people kind of stray away from it. But it's like I, I don't want to say you're you're walking away from it's wrong and you're you're making a mistake, but it's. Again, this is going in my top five of all time, easily the number one of Isekai's, so that's saying something, that it's got that much, and I think a lot of it has to do, like we mentioned before, is the fact that we know that it's going to be a full adaptation, so you can get that investment. Well, I, I'd be afraid of investing myself right now. I, I, I think that uh, wasn't ReZero at, at your top of the list at, uh, before this, or was Ascendance on your top? Ascendance was one. Uh, I think ReZero was probably underneath that. Oh, okay. So, yeah. um, and then cut a soup, I think. Because I know you were really, you really, really loved ReZero. And that's, mm-hmm. uh, that's one of those do. things of, it, it, it's, I mean, it says, it says a lot. Oh, you're not supposed to mention ReZero when you're talking about Mushoku Tensei, by the way. <laughs> 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 I make it a joke for the person that commented about that. I'm, I'm just joking. 
I'm, I'm okay with it. And somebody just like blew up on our channel because I mentioned like ReZero one time in my review of Mishuka Tensai. And I'm like, uh, are you mad at me? What did I do? <laughs> it's like, no, I'm just ranting because all everybody else does is comparisons. Like, okay, well, I'm used to people coming to my channel and, and ranting and feeling comfortable enough to rant about something. So we'll go with it. But now that. To put aside that, there, there's so many phenomenal parts in this show. I don't want to spoil it all, but, I mean, technically Chris has mentioned a couple of them, so I might as well. With Yeah, the the connection between um, uh, Paul and Rudy was – there was – there was so much – and that's, that's the other thing. I love when there's so much to think about. Every episode, there was so much to think about, and I think that's a sign of a really good story. The moment we had that, inter- that, that conversation between Rudy and Paul – there was so much discussion just around the idea of I didn't care about who was right and who was wrong. I, I, I made that clear. I was like, I don't – I'm not saying that Rudy's wrong. I'm not saying that Paul's wrong. It's cool to think that both have the – to what extent who is right and to see it from two perspectives. Is Paul projecting? Is Paul disappointed? Is Paul okay? – is it right for Paul to be angry? Is it – is it okay for Rudy to be frustrated? Is it okay for Rudy to want to not make his father worry about him? All those things were in it. And again, in the background, additionally with the next episode, is getting into, does Rudy see Paul as his dad? He's he's never really, it never really felt like he's ever seen him as his dad. Because he still has his mind of his older self that thinks, well, I'm smarter than my, that guy. Like, there was a whole scene in the first part about that. Like, oh, you don't know who you're messing with, Dad, because I've dealt with people. I know how to manipulate people. And he throws his dad some really nasty comments to manipulate him. And it's like – it's a really interesting question to get into is this idea that does Paul feel like he's even his dad? Like he f- – that moment you make – it makes you realize how belittled he was. Thankfully, it kind of corrects itself later with this whole mistake Rudy makes and how his dad comes in there for him. It's those things that are really interesting to get into, and I think that was a lot of things that were introduced with this this season was getting into that aspect, getting into more into the relationship between Rudy and uh, everybody around him. Really, I the, I think this season really kind of hit heavy towards the later parts about him not realizing just how much effect he's had on people. I loved Rajur's growth, like seeing where Rajur eventually went to was just really great. Seeing where Eris eventually gets to is really great. Again, that's not even getting into the the Dragon God and all that kind of crazy stuff that they've technically hinted at that we're just having so much fun speculating on. Uh, It's not even funny. We had an entire episode podcast talking about it. There's so much good here. Um, Lilia Hug. That's all I'm going to say. Lilia Hug was fantastic. Aisha was fantastic. There's so many good characters in the show, and I just I can't I can't get enough of it. So yeah. Oh yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna get onto you for not doing it, but I'm gonna do it myself now. Roxy's episode, dude. Like, I, 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 I talked about this extensively on that that particular episode that I did impressions on, but it was like, yeah, how can you say so much with so little? Like, there was just this this one scene. Again, I'm not going to spoil things. So I'm going to be very vague here. But having these two characters who greet Roxy and then they immediately go back to their, their what they're comfortable with, their, their, their second nature. Like this is how they normally act. And they went back to that. And I immediately was like, wow, 
that's it right there. That 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 brief moment told me everything. Like I didn't even you didn't even need to get into any further backstory for her. I knew exactly what happened. I knew everything based on just a brief moment. I'm like, that is so good. Like that was so good. <laughs> like it's so good. It's like isolation and just I almost want to say betrayal, but it's not really betrayal. It's unknowing damage that they were causing. And it was so good. Like I I was floored. Like just three seconds of animation and I'm literally floored. It was so good. Oh my gosh. Anyways. <laughs> Uh, how much more can we gush on it? And it, 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 do you want to get into this spoilers is, right now so we can continue well, on? There's there's one more thing. It, the, we've talked about how fast we've we've talked about. I don't know how to explain it. How much material is in each episode? We've we, we've we, we're, we're kind of hinting at it when we say that there's so much in just one the, these three seconds of there. There's no no amount of Nothing. There's no time that is wasted. Oh, pacing's in, perfect. It, the pacing is perfect, there's and so it much. feels like, like, like when you had mentioned earlier that we're we're on episode what twenty three or something like that. I'm like, we've only done twenty three. It seems like we've done we're we're at near like at least 50, 40, 50, at least 40. 50, 40 or fifty episodes. That that's how much is and and this doesn't feel rushed at any point it just feels like you get so much in every episode and i don't know how to explain it better than that and and this the the funny thing is is how much is actually on the cutting floor and that i i i almost want to go you, back don't you do no, it I I'm not. I I'm just <laughs> he saying. He watches those videos where they say what they. Cut. I haven't watched any in a long time. I watched a couple of episodes of that. Um, it, the the funny thing is is to that make that's one of those things that makes me want to go back and read this yeah. the books is knowing this is why I'm bringing this up is knowing how much is being left behind. And we're still getting this much. I haven't heard too much being left behind, so you must be hearing from different people than I am. It's I, possible. I, I heard they're pretty solid on it, but there's obviously some things that are being cut for the sake of well, a little I, bit too I, much, I, Ru Rudy. It, it's it it is, and, and but the, they're they're usually in in context of character moments, of things that need kind of need to be there, but they don't need to be there because they're not. The main storyline. They're not enough. giving. Yeah, they and and so I I give that as credit to the actual storyboard and the actual director of being able to take this story as a as a whole and saying this is what is needed and what is necessary and then compacting that into something that flows well and is feels like you're getting so much and at the same time you're not feeling overwhelmed. I give that all the credit in the world to the director and story storyboarder. So what do you want to get into spoiler wise? You just want to talk about the last two episodes that we haven't done a discussion on, or what do you, what do you want to get into? I guess we could do that. I, I, I was just throwing it out there as did you want to talk about spoilers or not? I wasn't necessarily saying that I needed to, but yeah, we could definitely dig into the last well, two episodes. We Cause we didn't talk about, yeah, we didn't talk about basically them arriving at the, Back to um, the camp. Well, they basically the went to his camp. home first, and then they went to the yeah where um, Eris's Keenan was, and 
that's that's all gone, obviously. Uh, so full on spoilers beyond this point. Um, if anybody's leaving, thanks for watching. <laughs> you all take care. Um, but no, it's. I, I think the the great thing with that particular episode was really getting into the impact that Rudy had on everybody. Like, because I, I think that's one thing that he doesn't really take for granted is how much reserve has grown based on what Rudy's done for him and not really accepting that. And at the same, I think at the same time, it was a lot about Eris realizing that, you know, she has, I think she, he ends up uh, basically calling her a, a sword, uh, a warrior at that point, but also telling her to acknowledge the fact that she basically faced the dragon God and survived. So and he's seen, he, she's seen his technique. So it's, that should mean something or something like that. Um, I thought it was fantastic. I, I I liked how they played out Rudy first going home because it had that whole seeing the different glimpses of different things that he's done in his life. And it's it's really crazy to think about the fact that he hasn't been there since he was what eight. Yeah, because that was the point which his dad just basically threw him in a carriage and sent him off with Christmas. Well, it, well, we we I I even asked asked Andrew at one point. I was like, you realize by the time Rudy and Sylphie finally end up meeting he's flat out not going to recognize her and that 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 that's when i pointed out yeah i hated the glasses too so andrew andrew i'm watching watching andrew's video and andrew's like and i wonder if chris is gonna say something about the the glasses and i like yeah i hated them (laughs) um but no i um me wanting to see the the final um, uh, reveal of uh, the final meeting between Rudy and and Sylphie, and it's like I I mentioned to Andrew, I'm like at this point you do realize that we're going to uh, Rudy's going to bump into Roxy before he even bumps into Sylphie. That's the way everything I think that feels like. Go, yeah, that's that's where everything feels like it's headed towards. Um, and well, then my whole point was that. I, I, this writer doesn't do things for no reason. Like my main whole thing has always been, he never wastes characters. Right. And so when you have this point where Roxy specifically very vividly accounts, this dream that she has of meeting her boy (laughs) inside of the labyrinth and them having this moment in the labyrinth. And then, you know, having this sweet little, yeah, it's like, yeah, I don't see. Yeah, it just so happens that mom is in a labyrinth. (laughs) Yeah. It it really obviously seems like she is that, um, that Zenith is speaking to Rudy because that whole scene where it shows Zenith doing some sewing and she pricks her finger and then they come inside. It's all from her perspective until the very end flips. And then suddenly Rudy's staring at Zenith. We get a perspective from Rudy looking at her and she says, I love you. That was obviously her speaking to Rudy. It, it, I don't necessarily see, see her saying, Rudy, come save me. It's more of a, I love you, child. It was almost like a goodbye. And so now he has this focus. I need to save my mom. He was stuck in his little thing, and now he's going to see it. So it, it's obvious this is the direction he has to go next. I don't know how he finds the labyrinth because unless she's – he based on her communicating to him, he now knows where she's at. But obviously Roxy does. And I don't see Roxy running into Rudy before they get the labyrinth because that's a whole joke about her story was that yeah. they meet in the labyrinth. So they, I see him getting there. She knows where it's at because she got word from um, the the demon lady Kishida. She Kishi Kishi. So she knows where it's at. So she's going there. And so I see them having to meet there and save Zenith before we get to eventually meeting Sylvie. That's my prediction. 
the thing that I loved the fact that he didn't see Sylphie first is because my prediction was that Sylphie was going to be the one to bring him out of his neat hood because I knew that he was going back into his neat hood when everybody left. And so I assumed she was going to pull him out because yeah. we knew that she was alive because he's seen her on the board and that she wasn't on the dead list. Right. So I was assuming she was going to pull out. And I'm like, I'm glad she didn't because that was such a good thing that he himself chose to walk away from his neat hood again. I agree. Because he was stuck in that again. And it wasn't until he realized there's somebody important out there that I need to go help. Zenith, my mom, this person that loves me, I need to go help it, her. And it's, and it's simple things like it's, that. Again, another two-second clip that's amazing is him walking by his own self that yeah. was tied up. It, it's simple things like that that – while they they don't seem like they should matter, they do matter. The, 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 I, I agree with Andrew wholeheartedly. The fact that he got his butt up and walked out that door. I like how he... And I, I do. I, I remember. I, I agree. I love seeing the, the, um, the gate, him on the gate in, in, in the background as he, him walking and leaving that behind. I wonder if the next time we see him in the man gods world, if it's going to be him, if it's going to be Rudy or if it's going to be the, Ed, it'll be I interesting. I don't think we're there yet. You don't think so? It, I, like I said, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I just think that would be interesting to see what the next, if he's going to, if he's going to feel like he's re- reverting or if he's going to start seeing a change in himself. It could be. Because I think that was a massive step. Um, but then again, but he's uh, we, done that. He's done we've before, seen, though. we've seen a lot of massive steps as it is, but I like think he, that one was an, an interesting step there. He's, he's walked away from himself several times before. It was just, that was like, I think, and, th- and that's, that's the thing is we see that and that could be him walking away from it, but it, it's still, it's not to say that he can't fall back into it. Mm-hmm. It could be a thing where he starts seeing himself, uh, his Rudy self now. And that eventually at some point he falls again and he sees himself as, yeah. his, as his old self again. Um, but no, I was going to mention the fact that I, I liked how that, that guy, Eris's butler guy, whatever, um, comes in there. Is, I think he's an advisor. He comes in there and he's like, uh, you know, everybody else is hurting out here, right? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, Rudy, uh, just because you just, you know, got with the girl and she ran off with you. I mean, ran off. I, I don't think, uh, you, you, you don't have a candle to hold against a lot of people outside their, your tent and they need tents. He's like, oh, so you're gonna kick me out? I'm like, oh my gosh, he's he's like thinking about his neat self again, like recalling back to this point, in which I'm assuming his brothers, because in the flashback he mentions the idea that um, they say that their their children are strong or something like that it was the letter that they had for. It was good to see that his parents were actually caring for him. Um, yeah, I thought that was a an inter- a good. A but good yeah, you just feel like here here you, here I am getting kicked out of my home again. <laughs> So Chris was saying something that I kind of agree with, thinking that uh, the Roxy treasure has a new uh, 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 a roommate <laughs> that they put. He put Eris's hair inside the yeah, box probably. with, with, with Roxy's bansu. <laughs> you know that there was so much symbolism. It's a lot of hair to I, fit in that box. I, so I, I don't I know. Want, <laughs> I want to make something very clear. I was not mad about that particular group of scenes somebody had made it made a comment in in, in the it was tasteful. in the sides i i thought they did well i thought they that that particular scene i was not mad about that scene and and somebody went off on some like ran, the, random i like the statement Ares gave it's, give me some kittens yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah i love that 
but somebody had mentioned that because I was trying to be Rest purposefully in peace, Hilda. Rest in peace, Hilda. <laughs> I was purposefully being vague about what had happened in that particular set of scenes. And in the course of me being vague about it, I, because I was saying that I was I, I had a lot of mixed feelings about that set of that sequence of scenes. I was not mad about what happened between Rudy and Edis. I don't care. That is a part of the storytelling. That is a part of Rudy growing up into a man. As Andrew was mentioning earlier, he's he's going through a lot of different things to change from who he was before. And this is character development. And that particular scene had a lot to do with his character development. I no, had... Chris. This twelve-year-old Rudy should be having, uh, <laughs> should be sleeping with a fifty-year-old woman. Oh wait, that's reverse. Oh, it doesn't work. That it's it's stupid. It's there's it, I, this isn't reality, and it's never going to make sense in a reality way. I was not mad about that. I had Obviously mixed you were feelings. mad about it because I it had up. mixed feelings about Edis leaving Rudy. I had mixed feelings about that. I my heart hurt for Rudy. I I'm I just like with the dad and Rudy moment, I had mixed feelings about that. And then when they got into the next episode, guess what? Just like they did in this episode, they made reference to Edis's side, just like they did with Dad's side. I love that the 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 storytelling circles back and gets to the point of why the other character's perspective of that. I like that. And it only compounded the moment even more having Eris's side. That was a wonderful moment of her development. And I really, really liked that. It doesn't mean I don't have these still internal conflicts of, I want to see Rudy do well. I want to see Eris do well. These characters, I'm falling in love with these characters. I wasn't mad just because... Autom don't automatically assume just because you don't understand when I'm being vague about something in that moment because I don't want to spoil it for people doesn't mean that I have the same idea of, as everybody else that you have maybe heard somebody get mad about that particular scene. And yes, I agree. If you're mad about that scene and not mad about the first time that uh, Rudy was on top of Edis... I wasn't mad then. I'm not mad now. They're technically quote unquote children and they didn't do show anything. So while yes, there's an implication of th that situation, I think it was well and respectfully done. Um, so take that for what it is. I still think it was a fantastic episode and there was some really very emotional moments in a lot of that, that, like I said, they lingered because there was a lot of internal um, emotional moments in a lot of that. And if you take into consideration that episode as a whole, there was a lot of things in there that I agree with with Rudy. I've I I I've I've had those moments where somebody that you love just randomly kind of cuts cuts the cords and. That's not something that you just easily recover from. You you want to know why. Why did you leave? Why? And not being able to communicate in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, that's that's a really hard thing to deal with. 
And I, I very much felt Rudy in a lot of those situations. It, it, I hurt for him and I felt that. And I, I understand the want to cut everything off and not want to face the world at that moment. So yeah, I, I walked away from that episode with a lot of feelings and I, I, I can't, I can't express how much that's why I love the writing in the show because of those character moments. Okay. Yeah. I got it out. Okay. I, I cleared it. I cleared the room because I, I like yeah. I said, that was something that I, <laughs> okay, for whatever reason, for, for whatever reason, it's I think okay, that there was a misunderstanding just, and I want kidding. to clear up that misunderstanding. Just kidding, Chris. I'm just kidding. You don't have to get back into it. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, I hate misunderstandings. I really do. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. No, I, I think that was pretty much it. I mean, I I really did like the like I said, Rajur's growth was really fantastic. Seeing him kind of walk over, walk walk into those guys and save them, and they're like, uh, he said, I, "I'm I'm the dead end party. I'm Rajur, the superb." And they're like, "What superbs? I heard that they each or they kill you if you don't go to sleep or something like that." And he's like, "No, I, I'd never." Kill children, and they're like, well, of course not, dude. And they're like, can we see that that thing on the forehead? And he shows it. And they're like, oh, that's cool. Uh, it was really cool to see that different perspective of and see the growth of him was really, really fantastic. And again, it was heavily hitting on just what Rudy did to them, uh, did for them all, and that was kind of more solidified through what Eris said, which was the aspect of I need to leave Rudy because I rely on him too much. I will never grow if I stay with Rudy. He's always practicing. He's always getting stronger. And I'm not getting stronger because I'm relying on him. And it, it was interesting because, again, it kind of plays back in that whole argument about think- the whole situation was that she felt his hands when they were in bed and they were so much smaller than his. Do you think that's the reason why Richard uh, left as well? Was he felt that he was being um, helped by Rudy too much? I don't think so. He's just that he completed his task. I know that I, I, I agree because that's that's what he said was that. But at the same time, it was like, so where are you going to go? I, I understand. Okay. You, you, yeah. You've completed your task, but where are you going to go? And, and then, well, okay. What, what is, no, what I is understand. Reserve, what is reserve's mission to make, uh, spurs look better. Okay. How's he going to do that? If he stays with Rudy at his home, he's, he, he figures he got them home. They're done. And he's not going to stay there because that's their home. He got them home. There's nothing that sells reserved. Rudy is going to split up with Eris tomorrow, and then he's going to go try to find his mom. No, he got them home. There's nothing to say that they're going to, you know, leave home, and he needs to continue journeying to help the name of Reserves. Yeah, I, I, I guess I. It, it was just one of those. I, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I, there was a Reserve lot. Reserves has left the party. <laughs> <laughs> there was a lot of thing. I was having a lot of moments in in that that, and that was one of those where it was like. I understood everything in it made sense, but it just my 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 feelings around it yeah, were not, sucks. I mean, were not working. Like, it's just like Roxy. It's like why did Roxy have to leave? Roxy needs to stay on the screen. Well, Roxy needs to continue to do what she does. She needs to leave. She can't just stay with Rudy for the rest of his life because we love Roxy. No, I no, no. Uh, that why one... did Eris leave? We Eris should always be with Rudy <laughs> because we don't want Eris to leave. Rajur needs to stay there because we why did he leave Aisha behind? Aisha was cool. It's it's just it's because that they they have their own purposes and yeah I I technically at the time I don't really think I probably connect that with Rajur but yeah technically his whole purpose was to get them there. They're now at home. 
he's not going to make a home and a family there. He's going to continue his journey to clear the name of the suburbs. And he's doing well with that. And I think Rudy was, was plainly giving that to him. was like, look, the man God sees his power is, you know, waning. And you now have the opportunity to fix that name. And I think that kind of embolstered Rajur to keep moving. Now, why he didn't take them to go see Eris' family is good point. <laughs> no, like they I still, said, I'm they not... still technically need a journey beyond there. No, I'm. I like I said, I'm not. I'm not disagreeing with you. I I seen everything there. Everything made sense. It just uh, my, like I said before, I I try to follow character motivations, and I didn't see character motivations for him. I guess it, him continuing on his quote unquote mm-hmm. quest of continuing to make himself look better. I guess that made sense, but, um, he was doing well with Rudy. Um, and so, yeah, I, it, it, it's one of those things that yes and no, I see the reason, especially now that you've brought that up. Yeah, I can kind of see that, but eh, I don't know. I, like I said, I felt, felt mixed on, on a lot of those things in, in those particular areas, but I trust the writer to eventually, um, make me feel better about that situation. It was so. also very emotional to do that. Yeah, it was mo- emotional. <laughs> Definitely was emotional. There was a lot of emotions going on in those few episodes. And I think it, it also has to do a lot to do with what he said to them. Because what he said to them was that he... The way... the What I got from that statement that he made before he left was... he A lot of his focus is to, to help children. Right. Like, he, he is so devoted to... If he sees a child... And it's if there, if there's a carriage coming towards a child, even if it's a mile away, if a carriage is going in the direction of a child, he will obliterate that carriage. Like he cares about nothing but protecting children. He's very driven for that, and a lot of that comes around the fact of what the Supers did and the the killing of their own women and children. It's 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 something that's ingrained in him, and it really felt like that final conversation that he had with Erdi and 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 um, Eris was him saying, "You're no longer children." He's done what he needed to do. He got them where they needed to go. But one of the main focuses of him protecting them was because they were children. He doesn't view them as children anymore. That's true. He specifically said that they were no longer children. And I think that was a part of that. Being able to step away from them was him finally acknowledging that these kids are now adults. They are very strong. They're much more stronger than I would have ever expected them to get to. And now I can walk away from them and I can go find another child that is need of my help. That, if I stay with them, I can't that is, really. That is an actually a fantastic answer. I'm happy you like it. <laughs> <laughs> what else is in those last two episodes? I think that was it. Like I said, I, I really like the, the Rudy falling back in his old ways, really getting into his parents. I like the fact that his parents were... Yes, you can say they were too supportive to the point where it kind of enabled what he did, but he went through some really crappy stuff. So, and really getting into the idea that a lot, a lot of people were kind of mentioning him being up there. There was like a lot of people that wanted to reach out to help him. They were hoping that he'd get better, but he was always just up there. Um, it seemed like at some point he wanted to reach out to them as they reached out to him, but he never did. Um, and it was always in that idea that nope, that people can't change when they get to a certain point. Was that that's how he kind of, which is technically in the state of mind of somebody that is. Uh, kind of a shut in and stuck in there in in a way, and in some this is what I do. This is my life now. Is that feeling that because you've gone so long with that mentality, you can you can't change. And he he also kind of directs that to the people outside was that they they they'll they'll they're probably laughing at me. So it was it was really interesting to see that that vantage point and to kind of give a better con. 
and that, and that does lead me to believe, similar to what you said, that will be the last time we'll see his old form. Because I think a lot of the... I don't know how much more you can flesh that out. I feel like that was the writer really kind of giving us that final full viewpoint of that previous life. And I don't know that there's going to be anything else he's going to be able to pull from that. So I do agree that there's a possibility that he'll step away from that. If that form in his mind with the man God is because of that attachment to that segment of his life, then I think you can have him walk away from it. The problem is that if that form in that, in his mindset is there because of his mentality of as his, his otaku nature and stuff like that, then he'll remain. But if that form was there because he couldn't let go of his neat self, he'll remain. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to see in one of the next moments that we see, which is hopefully spring of 2022. (laughs) If we see in the, in one of the future segments, if we see another one of those, because we're, we're obviously always going to see his habits. We're always going to see his habits. What I think will be, depending on if we see him meet Man God first or if we see a character moment where we we see something similar to what we've talked about before where he's playing the game. I think that that will be kind of a telltale. Um, and, and which that's the, I think, if, if he actually has a character moment or if he has a I'm playing the game moment. Mm-hmm. And... That, I think, will be kind of the telltale of if he's truly let go of that side of himself. Or if he goes to the man god and he actually sees himself as Rudy, one or the other. Now, um, that's one of those funny things is, like, you, you kind of you kind of want to see that growth. But at the same time, do you really want Rudy to stop being Rudy? Like, there's, there's certain parts of it that's actually charming. But at the same time, I understand that, like, that is partly the flaws that you kind of have struggles with sometimes is... is like, yeah, if, if randomly Aisha were to show back up again, he starts making a pervy comment about having a CISCOM relationship. It's like one of those, like, well, that's just Rudy. But at the same time, is it like, would it ever be the same if eventually got to the point where he never thinks about his previous life or his trappings ever again? It would be interesting to see that, that, that he has grown so much and he has gone so long in this world that he gets into, like, his 20s or something like that. And then suddenly you realize... He doesn't talk about his previous world anymore. He doesn't talk about tropes and harems and and all this stuff anymore. Because he's finally gotten so many new experiences and so much of his new life that eventually gets to a point where it's drowned out. Yeah. I mean, that's like, I mean, I I can say it honestly. I mean, it's hard to remember what you were doing when you were 20 or or something if you're 35. It's hard to think about what you were doing when you were 9, when you were 18. At some point, your mind, your memories get pushed out. Now, now, granted, there's trauma and stuff that people will always have vivid memories of. It's hard to get rid of or special moments in your life that you'll never forget. But the, most of the cases, a lot of that stuff kind of sh- – especially like what sh- like he was – his life was watching anime. And that stuff gets pushed out. You know, you, you start forgetting what happened in you know the 13th episode of Evangelion or something like that. Um, so eventually, it's going to come to a point where I wonder if it's going to have where – he never mentions it anymore. I'm curious if the writer is going to do that or if he's going to always have those trappings because he feels like it makes him, quote unquote, relatable in some way. Uh, because obviously Otaku are going to be reading this and getting into it. And if, at some point when it gets to, you know, so far into the story, if suddenly he no longer talks about tropes and stuff, which technically allows the viewer to go, yeah, man, I remember that. Like, I like the CISCON trope. Um, 
will it will it be as fun anymore at that point when he gets to that point? I don't think I don't I don't think that he'll ever wear will, but I think he's going to get rid of a lot of those trappings. The game that we talk about, yeah, and that, and that's the thing is it, it it it'll be interesting to see um, where they go from here. I mean, like like I said, and, and like Andrew's kind of implying right there is a, a lot of his a lot of his um his intricate intricate. His 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 jokes are probably never going to go away, but when it comes down to it, a lot of the his growth has been happening. We we've seen a lot of his growth. He can only continue to become better from this point on, especially if he truly is letting his old self go. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I think that's it. Uh, again, rest in peace, Hilda. Uh, give her kittens. Yeah. <laughs> hope you guys enjoyed all the spoiler discussion, all of our reviews that we did end up doing um, for this episode. We hope you guys enjoyed. It's a lot of fun diving into all that stuff. As always, I have a lot of like single made reviews for a lot of the shows that I reviewed here on our YouTube channel, Otaku Spirit. Um, I think it's uh, youtube.com slash Otaku Spirit. Hope you guys will jump over there and subscribe to me. Definitely appreciate you guys supporting us there. And as always, through our Patreon and our tips link in our on our website and through our description on YouTube. But yeah, thank you guys for listening. We hope you guys enjoyed. And as always, you'll take care. Oh, I-